Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. We are live on a Thursday edition of the Sports Fast, live at Chickies and Pete's in Atlantic City. This is Wild Card Weekend. It's a busy, busy day in which more news around the Eagles. Some of it good, some of it interesting. It's kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm your host, Mike Gill. My on-site producer today is Danny Ryan, and Josh Henning is back at the studios of 97.3 ESPN. Brian Johnson's name is back in the news. He has a second team that would like to interview him about their head coaching vacancy. This time, it's the Tennessee Titans. That's an interesting one. Also, Jalen Hurts is hurt. He said today he has not thrown the football or picked up a ball at all since the game on Sunday, admitting he probably should not have gone back in the game and that his finger did get worse after the game on Sunday. You saw the, uh, you know, it was pretty evident when he threw that football and he hit the helmet or hit something in the hand, I think, kind of pushed his finger back and it appeared to dislocate his finger. It was pretty evident right off the bat that he had a dislocated finger. I mean, they showed it on the television, and it was a quick thing. And then they said that he went into the tent, but then he did come back into the game. And you're thinking, all right, maybe they just popped it back into place. I don't know about you. I've never had a dislocated digit before, but it looks like it hurts like hell. (laughs) I mean, to me, that is not something. And, like, if you didn't think... If you never had one before, if you never had a dislocation where they pop something back in, anything you hear where they just, like, pop something back in. You know, some people get their shoulder and they pop it back into place. There are people that are double-jointed sometime and their elbow kind of pops out and you pop that thing back in. When people do that to their finger and their finger is, like, out of the joint, it is disgusting, number one. Number two... It doesn't appear that you could just pop that thing back in, and you can't imagine that there's not going to be some swelling in that area for a couple of days or something. I mean, he might be able to give it a go, and I'm imagining he's going to play, but this shouldn't be a surprise that there was some swelling after the fact for Jalen Hurts, and he has not picked up the football all the way up to today now, so... That's obviously a storyline. It sounds like Devonta Smith is going to play in the game. He did say afterwards he plans on playing on Monday night. We'll get the latest on A.J. Brown. But listen, with all the negative vibes around this team, they don't need extra injury problems at leading into the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday night. But that's what we have as we kick off this edition of the Sports Bash. And listen, everybody, you know, Brian Johnson getting this job interview on a day where Bill Belichick announced, you know, yesterday that he was going to be separating from the Patriots. He had a press conference earlier today. It was kind of a, 
he gave like a five-minute thing, and then Kraft gave a five-minute thing. Um, there's a lot of head coaching. In fact, we're here at Chickies and Pete's, and the GM on duty right now, my man Litley, Ryan Litt, mm-hmm. he's a Seattle Seahawks fan, and I said to him, are you ready for a new head coach? And that moment where, like, you need a new head coach when you had Pete Carroll, you had Bill Belichick, and you have to make that next move is always an interesting thing. The Tennessee Titans, the Carolina Panthers, both interest in Brian Johnson. And it's always the funny thing is – you're the team that has the candidate, and the fans are saying, take our guy. We don't want him, right? And then there's another team. Yesterday, it's Carolina, and you're like, ah, Carolina, you can have him. You know, we post a story on social media, and the reactions are just hilarious. It's, get this guy out of here. We'll drive him to the airport. There's also the reverse psychology where it's like, oh, no, we'll be very upset if Brian Johnson leaves. He was a great head coach for us here in Philadelphia, yeah. trying to hype him up. Yeah, the, the <laughs> thought of, like, hey, I see this one that says take the D.C. with him. You know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And a lot of times, it's not about the success of your team that teams look at with interest. Yeah, sure. If your offense is scoring 35 points a game, they want to know why. Why is that team scoring 35 points a game? But the interesting part to me is we all just assume that this Eagles offense should be better. And I don't disagree. I think the offense should be better. But teams around the league are saying the Eagles are doing something and we like it and we'd like to talk to that guy. Does that mean he's going to get the job? Not necessarily. But this happened a couple of years ago. If you remember, John Gannon got interviews after his first season in Philadelphia. He didn't get those jobs. He then got them the second season. But when a team has success, other teams want to pick the brains of the players, excuse me, the coaches, of why that team is having success. So Brian Johnson is up for a second job. Uh, Nick Sirianni did talk earlier today. We're going to get into that. We have a busy show today. Mike Golick is going to join us in about 25 minutes from now. We'll get his take on what he thinks has gone wrong with the Eagles. Is this a talent thing? Is it a coaching thing? You know, he was on a team, and this is why I thought Golick was a good guy to get on the show. Golick played for an Eagles team at a time that there seemed to be a divide, separation, if you will. I don't want to say divide like I hate you, but we can ask him about this. Golick was on the team when Buddy Ryan was the coach. And at that time, for those of you who are in that age bracket and remember the Buddy Ryan years in those teams, you had a Eagles defense with Reggie White and Clyde Simmons and Jerome Brown and Seth Joyner and Andre Waters, Wes Hopkins, and you could go on and on and keep naming more and more Byron Evans players from those great teams. Eric Allen. And the problem at that time was you had a great defense. Some would say a Super Bowl-level defense. But you did not have a very good offense. The offense constantly let the team down during those years. So we want to ask Golik about that. What's it like to be on a team when there's clearly a unit on the team that's better? Now, I don't know that that was the case entering the year. Back then, during the Buddy Ryan gang green years, you knew that the defense was the, 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 the leader of the team. And you were kind of transitioning from Jaworski over to Randall Cunningham. It was like, huh, how do we kind of, you know, and this is at a time. I mean, you're talking about the late 80s here where you're trying to transition 
from a classic dropback quarterback to Randall Cunningham, who was a guy who was an improviser. He was a player who probably would have fit a lot better in today's game than he did at that time. And quite frankly, he wasn't given the same opportunity that he would be given in today's world. All right? We're talking about an African-American quarterback who came in the league and many people didn't view as a quarterback in the way that we view quarterbacks today that do things with their legs and are able to make plays. So can you imagine if Cunningham was playing in the game today and was given the opportunity he should have been given at that time? The Eagles' offense may have been a lot different. Now, I remember as a kid growing up, you know, Jaworski would play like first and second down, and then Cunningham would come jogging in on third down, and they would basically be like, yeah, run around and make a play. I mean, just think about the concept of this. So Golik is on those teams, and I'm wondering if this team right now, and it's hard to say because the Eagles' offense has not been akin to what that defense was. That defense was... I don't want to say legendary. They didn't win anything. They never won a playoff game. And quite frankly, I think the defenses were, while they had great individual players, they were never good enough to even win a damn playoff game. Like, okay, the offense wasn't very good. But that defense couldn't even, like, have one game where they, I don't want to say pitched a shutout, but, like, won the game because they were so good. But that said, they were a ferocious defense. But was there ever a time where the defense was so fed up that the offense couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. And is that something that could be going on right now? And I would say it's weird to ask that because I think the offense has been just, I don't want to say just as much of a problem as the defense, but I think we all understand and can concur that the Eagles' offense isn't what we thought it would be or what we think it should be, but that doesn't mean that the players on offense don't say, hey, We're holding up our end of the bargain. You guys can't get a stop. You guys can't get off the field. And if it happens one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, does it start to grind on the offense and then affect their ability as well? And was that something that happened to those gangrene teams? That, hey, we're making all these plays on defense. We're keeping us in the game. I mean, quite frankly, we're the only reason why this team's any good. But this is wearing on us, and then we get to the playoffs, and you're relying so much on us to get sacks and interceptions and fumbles, and it's not sustainable. And then they end up getting beat in the playoffs in the first round. They lost a game against, what, Chicago in the Fog Bowl, which was kind of a weird situation. Um, Trying to think if I can remember any other Eagle... I mean, I know they lost a game against the Rams. I was at that game as a kid. I was sitting in the 700 level. I think Flipper Anderson is still running down the tunnel. Of uh, you remember that play, Flipper? Was it Flipper Anderson or Henry Ellard? One of those two Rams wide receivers. Jim Everett was the quarterback of the team, and they beat the Eagles uh, in a game. Washington. I was at. A, you know, I remember Washington kind of beating the Gangrene Eagles in a playoff game. Yep. Um, so they have not. They did not have any playoff success at all. So I'm interested to hear Golick's take on that. That's coming up in. You know, about 15 minutes from now, Sal Palantonio at 3 o'clock today. We'll get Sal Pal's take on Nick Sirianni, the coaching staff. Are they coaching for their jobs on Monday night? What does Sal Pal think about that? And listen, Sal's been around a long time. I don't know that he has ever seen a team basically drop off the way that we've seen this team drop off. 
I don't know that he can compare it to anything. We've looked at it all week long trying to find something that is comparable to what we're kind of witnessing right now. And I don't know anybody who has really said, oh, yeah. I mean, people bring up the Jets, the the Kotite Jets or the 86 Jet team. That wasn't the Kotite Jets, but that was a, another Jet team that started 10-1 and one and then ended up only winning 11 games. And then, of course, there was the Kotite Eagles team that was 7-2. 1994. And they did not uh, end up making the playoffs. Um, but I don't know that – see, the difference to me is with all these teams – those teams just ended up not winning because they didn't really have the talent and they lost games. It's not It's not that you don't think this team has the talent. It's how they're losing these games. They just look abysmal. Like, if you went back and watched, like, those Eagles teams, you'd say, ah, they're just not good enough or, you know, they were kind of in this game. But the Eagles are losing games in a fashion that doesn't even look recognizable. That's the oddity, I think, in all this thing, right? Well, it's also, to me, I would say, Mike, the expectations. It's the expectation that you came into the season coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, whereas, you know, the 86 Jets and the 94 Eagles, they weren't coming off of making it to the promised land and being that close to a championship. Yeah, but another thing is, though, okay, we talk about the expectations. I'm wondering if anybody out there listening goes back to training camp and then reevaluates the expectations and says, I think the expectations were higher than they should have been. Like, were the expectations unfair, I think is the question. Does anybody think that the expectation? I mean, hindsight is what it is, but I still think if you're watching this team and you see the guys on this team, you're wondering, how is this team not... I don't want to say better. I mean, you're 11 and 5. You had a really good year, or 11 and 6. You had a really good year, but you're still at this moment of how are they not better? It's a it's it's a weird dynamic because most 11 win teams you think are really good, and it's just the way that they. It, so you go back to to training camp where the expectations out of whack. No, they won 11 games. You don't just win 11 games by accident. You got to be a pretty damn good team to win 11 games. So that's why it's such a weird dynamic here. Yeah, I mean, as Fletcher Cox said, you realize how hard it is to even make the playoffs. And, you know, it's an accomplishment every single time you can do that in the NFL. But I said earlier in the season when they were winning ugly, when they were coming from behind and winning in these shootouts, but we really didn't have a great feeling about the season. And obviously it snowballed on us. But I said, you know, they really got just rushed into the limelight last year. They were this dominant team that just had everything go their way. And they never really had time to work out the kinks or have time for teams to really adjust to them. And we've seen that this season. You know season. what, though? I would take that as a legitimate reasoning if they didn't get out of the gates at 10-1. and 1. Because that would be the time you'd say, all this came and hit us, and then the next year we weren't prepared for what was coming. You went 10-1. and 1. So you were prepared but for we, what was coming. We talked about it week in and week out, though, I feel like. It was very suspect wins. And you didn't care because they were winning. The wins kept piling on top of each other. Yeah, so but you, my point would you be if you were a it. mentally weak team or you weren't mentally ready for what was coming after you went to the Super Bowl, you wouldn't find a way to win. You would say, we're not ready for this. Okay. And we're down in the game and we lost because... They wouldn't have the mental fortitude to come back and come win those, back in those games. games. Okay. So they had so many... I see what you're saying. They had a lot of evidence of a team... You know, here's what to me... And I, I want to see what everybody out there thinks. Let me get the text board number, 609 609- 
403-0973. Here's what, to me, is the reason why I think people... Have people bailed on this team? Would you guys say people have bailed oh, on this 100%. team? One hundred percent, Josh. I would say most people have little to no confidence in this team. I don't know if that means like yeah, they're literally bailing. But I think there's a lot of people who like like everyone I run into, Mike, this week has been. I love the Eagles. I want them to win, right. but my confidence in them is just not there. Exactly, okay. and and it's fair. And and this is why. This is my reasoning. Why I think. People are so dejected and just so disappointed with this current standing of this team and why the only way I think you're going to regain confidence or excitement about this team is if you do something that you don't anticipate, and that would be go to beat San Francisco or Dallas. Beating Tampa Bay I don't think is going to revive the fan base, and here's why I think it is. There are only so many seasons in your sports fan life, especially for football, where you legitimately think that you can win the Super Bowl. Like there's some seasons you go 10 and 6 and you're like, we're in, we're a wild card, and you hope you can win the Super Bowl. You're excited because you have hope, but you don't think they can win the Super Bowl. You hope they can win the Super Bowl. But that hope gets you excited. This situation is one of the few seasons in your life. If you are listening to this show right now, how old are you? And now ask yourself, in my years of being a fan, how many years did I legitimately think I could win the Super Bowl? This was one of them. And now you feel... Like, that got ripped from you. And it is so dejecting because there's only so many years where you legitimately feel this team can win a Super Bowl. And I feel like you felt like that. And then when that gets taken from you in the middle of the year, it's like when Randall got hurt in the Bryce Pulp game. You felt that the Eagles could win the Super Bowl that year, right? You felt... They could win the Super Bowl that year. It was finally Randall's team. They had this great defense, and he gets hurt in the first game of the year. And it's just like Aaron Rodgers' thing. It's just like you can't even believe that my hope, my, my, my belief that they could win the Super Bowl got taken from me. I feel like Eagles fans feel like it's – the belief got stripped from them, just absolutely ripped right out of their chest. You believed legitimately that this team could win the Super Bowl. Are they the best team? I don't know. But you know what? On any given Sunday, they are good enough on their best day to beat any team in this league, and I believe that. And that belief is what makes the season beforehand so exciting. When you have a good year and you kind of come out of right field like last year, you hoped you could win the Super Bowl. And then you got there and you're like, this is unbelievable. But when you believe it, that changes things. And I feel like it's hard to regain belief when it's been taken from you. You know what I mean? Like it's been ripped out of your heart. Like you, your heart was set on this. You believed it in all of your I heart. I heard this year. And then, and then you found out that, you know, the emperor has no clothes. 
I went into this year, and I believed this was the year. We, we were right there, and this team is back, and we might even be better. The whole offense is back. Everybody. They didn't make any changes except for right guard, and we drafted a guy who's going to step right in there, and we're not going to miss a beat. And then we went out and got DeAndre Swift. He might even be better than the guy we had. So how could this offense take a step back? It can't. I believe in them. And then it has. And that is where <laughs> the oomph hits you, where it is just almost, it just takes your will. It takes your will to want to be the fan for this team right now. It, it's in, a, in another sense, and it's something that maybe my, Mike, you might not be able to relate to as much, but a lot of other people, you know, if, if you're someone who's invested in a movie franchise, right? You know, if you're Star Wars or Harry Potter or Marvel or whatever one of these movie franchises, and you've been waiting for fill in the blank film for all of these years, and you invested all of these hours of your life in these movies, and then the newest one you go to is a flop. And you walk out of there feeling like your heart was broken. Yeah, like you don't even know what the franchise is anymore, really. Exactly. Well, well, you know, something that is relatable is you invested so much time in a television show, and then the finale is a... Right. You know, a lot of people were disappointed with the Seinfeld finale. Or were people disappointed in the Sopranos? It's 25 years. uh, There's a big thing going on right now, 25 years since the Sopranos. Right. You're invested in this show... And then the last episode, you don't even know what happened, really. You're just kind of left dangling in the wind. You know, the Eagles right now are leaving you dangling in the wind. You went on this great ride for, you know, 11 games. And then the last season of the of the show was kind of like, eh, uh, I, I don't know that I like this last season of the show. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not right, getting right. into these characters anymore. I, it's just so disappointing. Of how we got here. And I will say, like, you know, as much as I am trying desperately to find the will to want to get invested. Right. I'm having a hard time. And, and that means that's a lot coming for me. Like, it is. I am. Listen, you play the game. You have no idea what's going to happen. I don't care what the result is. You blow me out 48 to 3. I can still beat you the next time I play you. It's not that. It is what I just don't think that right now what is happening on this defense, this is one of the few times where I'm like, when I'm watching defensively, this isn't talent. This isn't – they're lost. Yeah, it's not like they're getting burnt in man coverage. It's not like they're just against much better playmakers on the other offensive side. It's that they don't even know where they're supposed to be. That's it. You don't know where they're supposed to be. It's – look, you get burnt on a play – twice in a game. Okay, whatever. You might not get burnt the next two times that happens. You got burnt on those two plays. This is more, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I've never seen anything like it. So for someone like me, who I get excited for all these playoff runs, I am ready to go. I was watching the Flyers game. Um... What was it Monday night when they made the trade? Yep, Monday night. Yep. I, full disclosure, I don't watch a lot of Flyers. I don't have the time in my life to sit and watch Flyers. But there's nothing on. I turned the Flyers game on, and the whole trade thing happened. And I was watching it, and I said, you know what? I would really miss watching the Flyers in the playoffs. Like, to me, I love watching playoff hockey. And when the Flyers make the playoffs, like, it is cool watching, like, every night, every shot that gets blasted. You're just like, oh, like the yeah. intensity. Like, I miss that. 
And with the this fights. Eagles, I want to be feeling that. And maybe I will on Monday night, but right now I'm having a hard time finding it. When we come back, Mike Golick played for the gangrene Eagles defenses. He was on a team where the defense was way better than the offense. How hard is that in the locker room? We'll ask him that, plus what he thinks is going on with this Eagles team. That's next. This is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. This is South. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Official home for Eagles playoff football. He's in. They've got him back at the 22. Hassan Reddick. It's the super wild card round as the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. 97.3 ESPN. That's Monday night right here on 97.3 ESPN. We have all the super wild card action. Mike Golick is going to be on the call on maybe the most intriguing one of the weekend. Green Bay, Dallas. You can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. And he joins us right now to take a look at the super wild card weekend. Mike Golick, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. It, it, it's it's the bittersweet of we just got through the national championship game and the high of that and then realizing college football is over. Now the high of the NFL playoffs starting, but knowing that within a month the NFL season is going to be over. It's such a tease. It is. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, you've played in this market. You know what it's like. It almost feels <laughs> like the fans in Philly have no juice. What have... What would your theory be on what has happened to this team in the last month? God, I wait. Listen, if I could put my finger on it, I mean, my God. Well, obviously you've had injuries, right? The linebacker position at the secondary position. A lot more pressure got put on the D-line for it. Um, so there was certainly an effect there. That That's just – we talk about injuries every year, and you talk about attrition and – when do you have your injuries and when do you get healthy? You look at San Francisco. They had injuries earlier in the season, lost three in a row, but they're healthy now. You look at a team like Miami. I did their, I did the Dolphin Buffalo game last week where they were beat up a bit and they're still beat up going to play in Kansas City, you know, in two degree weather. So it's tough when all of that hits. So you try and get healthy for it. And then what happens a lot of time as well is, is listen, A, there's, there's players on the other team that are getting paid to. And B is when things start to not go right, and things have gone well, obviously, for Philly as of late, uh, except obviously this last stretch, you start to press as a player. You start to, your frustration level hits, and you start to press, saying, we know we're better than this. We know we should be doing better than this. So maybe you start to do a little more than you should do. You know, it's always, it's always a game of trusting the guy next to you. Do your job and trust the guy next to you will do his job. But maybe you guys are pressing a little more you know, trying to do maybe too much. And that costs them. It's little things like that that you can see in film of what's going on. Now, the other side of it is, do we think that the Eagles can put it together because of the talent they have? And you say yes. But they have consistently not done that as of late. 
So you wonder and you head scratch as to can you flip the switch, so to speak. That's a term used a lot when the playoffs start, and that's way easier said than done. Yeah, Mike, you know, you look at, you talked about Miami and Dallas is another one. Those are teams that people question like, ah, they haven't won that game like against a good quality opponent this year. And it's like, you don't believe in them because they haven't beaten anybody, but they're still in those games. It's like a play here or a play there that they just haven't figured it out. That's not what's happening here. They just look like they completely have lost confidence have you ever seen something to this effect though where they don't even look like the same team it's not like hey you were winning this game earlier in the year you found that play they're not even the game against the giants i don't know what was going on they just weren't competitive but you know yeah you, you can't get a stop against arizona do you see the parallels of like how those teams look different they're not winning that game but at least they're competitive, and it's like if one play goes their way, that might switch for them. For the Eagles, it just doesn't look like they're close. No, no, it doesn't. But, you know, you also look at the other Super Bowl, the team that won the Super Bowl, Kansas City. They haven't looked like that Super Bowl championship team either. Now, uh, Philly has looked worse. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> they have definitely looked worse. But, you know, through a lot of the season, we are questioning Kansas City, you know, from the defensive side to who was uh, – uh, outside of Travis Kelsey, who was the guy we see as probably Rasheed Rice, and, and they're kind of putting it together a little bit better now, but we question both of them. This, this gets to be head-scratching. You know, this is one of those where, you know, as a former player and an analyst, I'm supposed to have the answers. But sometimes you just sit in the meeting room and, and sit in and watch film, and you don't understand it. You say, I don't know how this is happening. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. And like I said, what is real is frustration builds. And when frustration builds... Play can get worse when you're pressed and when you say we're better than this and we know we're better than this and we still all think they're better than this, yet game after game, they don't show it. Man, I mean, the confidence level for that team has to be low. Now, luckily, you do have some leaders on that team, you know, some older players who are leaders, and you can rely on the fact of, hey, we know how to have success in the playoffs, but, you know, the one thing you say about the regular season, you always say, well, there's next week. Well, those next weeks are over. Yeah. There's no more next weeks. You know, it's, it's, you go to Tampa and play the way you've been playing, you know, you're coming back the next day and packing up your locker. Mike Golick, uh, Westwood One, will have the call uh, of the Cowboys and the Packers right here on 97.3 ESPN. You mentioned something, though. You said Kansas City. They're going through this, too. But it sounds like part of the problem with Kansas City is we're wondering – do they just lack the talent that they used to have? This isn't a talent problem with the Eagles, is it? No. No, well, for a while it was an injury problem. The one thing it's tough to have with a 53-man roster and a salary cap is great depth, right? Uh, even when you see teams at the end of the season who have clinched a position and they sit some players, you can only sit so many players. So depth is always an issue. So as we talked about, the Eagles went through a lot of injuries, so – there, there's one thing to putting in a backup here or there, but there's another thing to having, you know, multiple backups on the field at one time. Listen, you're good enough to be in the NFL, but you're a ba- also a backup for a reason as well. You're just a little, not whether by a little or a lot, not as good as the guy in front of you. So if you start doing that a little more, and listen, the, the, no one's going to feel sorry for you. It's got to be next man up. You know, you can't use that as an excuse while you're playing, but now on the outside, you know, in analyzing this and looking at it, 
that that is real. That is a real part of it. Every now and then you get a guy that will step up and play great, and you'll go, wow, okay, you know, we can count on this guy more. But it gets difficult, you know. It, it gets difficult. And like I said, I really think the thing you can't put your finger on, the tangible thing like an X is an O play, this guy did this wrong, he was out of position, did it wrong technically. It, it really is the frustrating and mental part of this team is not used to being in this position and how are they reacting from it. Well, Mike, you could possibly answer this question better than anybody. You were on a team in Philly that, let's say, that one side of the ball was significantly more, uh, was better than the other side of the ball at times. I mean, is there frustration when that happens? When the defense is like, we're out here kicking butt every single week, when are you guys going to hold up your end of the bargain? Yeah, but but this team isn't in that position. You know, the, the, well, the that defense, defense is—it's getting close. Where that defense, I know the offense has had its problems, but yeah, they can't get off the field. The defense. No, I, I I get that, but the offense has had their problems as well. Yeah, you know, the, you've seen the frustration of AJ Brown. There hasn't been enough disparity like there was when I was in Philly, where the offensive side of the ball struggled and the defensive side, with I mean, just start kicking off the players that were there were were you know, ranked highest in the NFL for for year you know year after year there was a bigger disparity between offense and defense so you would get that look as one side's running off and one side's running on this listen they can all look in the mirror yeah. you know the offense at times has looked bad the defense at times it looked bad this is this is a collective thing where there is i don't think they're in a position to be pointing the finger everybody needs to be pulling the thumb Back at themselves and saying, "What can I do to get better?" Yeah. Um, now, who was the who was Bud Carson? Was he the coordinator at that time? Yeah, Bud was our coordinator when we were. Yeah, I mean, Buddy obviously was Buddy, when yeah, first right. got there when, when Buddy got fired and Rich Kotai became the head coach. Bud Carson became the coordinator, and you know our defense just kept going and going. Well, can you imagine a situation? Do you think this has a lot to do with the fact that if Bud Carson was told, "Hey"? You're no longer calling the defense. We're going to give it to, you know, insert whoever other guy around the, the, the building is, and he's going to call defense now. Would that have caused an issue with your team? I was a little surprised. Well, obviously it would have because we were one of the top defenses in sure. the league. So sure. it, it, it's tough to make that analogy because that was never going to happen. But, I, you know, I guess you have to look at everything, right? If the defense is struggling, it's struggling for a reason. It's usually not one thing when you're, if you're struggling for a while. It's a combination of things, whether it's injury or play. And, you know, Nick Sirianni at one point is like, okay, I got to try something to shape things up. We've seen offenses replace, you know, uh, uh, offensive coordinators. We saw them do it in Pittsburgh. We saw them do it in Buffalo to try and shake things up. So they try to do it, uh, in Philly. And it's tough to sit there and complain because things weren't going well. So you're trying some things. And like I said, instead of fighting it, it's where you are. I mean, Nick put somebody else in charge of calling the defense. Instead of moaning and complaining about it, you got to say, okay, we got to get better. We got to find a way to make this work. And Nick's trying something here and we all need to play better anyway. Nobody is playing well enough to step back and, and question everything that's going on. I, I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know, no, nobody can stand on the high ground and say, well, I'm playing great or we're playing great, so I don't know why you're making these changes. Obviously, when you're making changes, you believe you're doing it for a reason. 
Mike Olick's with us. He'll call uh, Green Bay and Dallas. Dallas, obviously, is that team that everybody says, if you're on the road, maybe different. Now that they got that division, improbable as it was, they win that division. Do you look at them differently as they enter this super wild card weekend? Well, I definitely look at them differently at home. I've covered them a couple times this year uh, where them losing on the road and winning at home, and they are there's such money at home right now, so that was big for them. Uh, to get that seed and, and get the home game. But so, yeah, I mean, you, you, CD Lamb, it's CD Lamb and Tyree Kill is basically back and forth as the top rece- receiving, uh, yardage leaders in the NFL. I mean, you got that old line that, you know, nicked up a little bit, but for the t- most part, trying to stay healthy is you got, you know, two walk-in Hall of Famers on that line and Zach Martin still playing at a all pro level. Uh, and you got Mike on defense and a good defense. So I, I think they're poised to make a bit of a run, but you're getting a Green Bay team. Jordan Love in the last eight regular season games, 18 touchdowns and one turnover for a guy in the first year as a full-time starter. He's doing what young quarterbacks are, are supposed to do. Don't turn the ball over. We see too many of them turn the ball over. Don't turn it over. You get the two-headed backfield of uh, Dylan, even though he's had, had uh, been nicked up a little bit, and Aaron Jones. You have the youngest, one of the youngest receiving cores, if not the youngest, in all of football. So this is going to be a good test for Dallas, and it's amazing with Dallas, no matter what. It's like Mike McCarthy, even in the postseason, seems to be coaching for his job all the time. It should be interesting. That's the 430 game right here on 97.3 ESPN. And obviously the Super Wild Card Weekend, you can hear them all. And that is a Saturday doubleheader, a tripleheader Sunday, and then a Monday night game. That is the Eagles and the Buccaneers. Are the 49ers for you clearly the favorite in the NFC, Mike? Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, obviously each each week you kind of go back and forth, and when they were on their three-game losing streak, you kind of went off them a little bit. But, yeah, I think they're the most complete team, uh, and I think Baltimore is the most complete team in the AFC, uh, and, which I, I think one of the more intriguing games this weekend, quite honestly, is going to be the Rams at Detroit. The Rams and Detroit have multiple weapons on offense, kind of like San Francisco does. Not as good, but still multiple weapons. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that game to see who comes out on top there. But San Fran absolutely is the team to beat in the NFC. Yeah, it feels like Philly and Tampa are, are playing uh, basically as the sacrificial lamb for the following yeah. week. I it, it's I don't know how it got to this point, um, but here we are where the Eagles, they, I mean, you, you know what it's like. There's just no anticipation for this game because they know the inevitables feels like it's coming. Well, the, the, the players, though, will think differently because the players have played – at a Super Bowl level. They've done that. Mm-hmm. So even though it doesn't seem possible to kind of flip the switch and get it back, the players are going to believe that they can if they can get by Tampa Bay and say they can play well enough. Uh, but we'll see. Obviously, you know, it's, it's right there on the field for them to, to try and get. All right, wide open Super Bowl, excuse me, a Super Wild Card weekend. It all kicks off Saturday, and as you opened up this segment, that start-off means we're getting close to the end, but that's enjoy it while it's here. And hopefully we all end up in Vegas hanging out for a couple of days, and maybe the Eagles will be there for us. Who knows? Mike Golick, everybody, you can hear him Saturday right here with Dallas and Green Bay on 97.3 ESPN. Thanks, Mike. You got it. All right, Mike Golick here on the Sports Pass Live. We're at Chickies and Pete's in Atlantic City at the Tropicana. And if you're looking for a place to watch the Eagles on Monday night, this is a great spot for a Monday night game. You get here, 
lot to do in the casino. And then, bang, over here to Chickies and Pizza. By the way, Monday is Martin Luther King Day, so we enjoy the holiday for all of the people out there who observe all the holiday and having uh, everything that's going on that day. It's a celebration of the NBA on MLK Day, and the Sixers have a 1 o'clock game on that Monday. So don't forget that as well for everybody who is going to get the opportunity to have that day off. It's a fantastic uh, celebration in the NBA. I think they do a great job every year. Uh, I always talk about, like if I'm the NBA or the NHL, somebody should take an afternoon and make that their day. Like Thursday afternoon is going to be NBA afternoon day where they play like Like right now, there's a game going on. Uh, Brooklyn is playing Cleveland in France, and it's a day game right now. we got a live game on here at Chickies and Pete's. It's awesome. The Paris game is going on. I think, like, every Wednesday or every Tuesday, a game at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, is like a live game would be pretty cool. Well, that's coming up uh, on Monday. So Monday night football, Sixers at 1, and the Flyers also play. So Monday is a triple header of Philly sports. All right, coming up. Sal Palantonio at 3 o'clock. Stick around for that. We'll read off some of your text messages on the other side. Five from Danny Rye today at 325. And tonight at 5 o'clock, it's one thought every playoff game with Casey Joyner here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Quick look at the text board. Yeah, Phil and Brigantine says, Mike, it's infuriating that Sirianni decided to start Hurts and others against the Giants. All last week on the Sports Bash, there were discussions about, what's the point? You were leading the charge, and I totally agreed. Let certain starters rest, get healthier, and their minds clear. But no, and here we are. Hurts and AJ now nicked up. Not 100% in the team morale after humiliating loss. Yeah. Likely very poor. Scoreboard watching, really, Nick? And he goes, what the bleep, <laughs> Phil and Brigantine? <laughs> I agree. Um, I said all last week. I wouldn't have played anybody. That's hindsight. Uh, I still don't think – I don't know what they would have gained from doing anything in that game. 38-3 win, 48 nothing win. I don't know what you would have gained from that. So now, for those of you just tuning in, you got Jalen Hurts who hasn't thrown a ball all week because his finger has deteriorated. you got A.J. Brown who I think will end up playing but maybe isn't 100%. You've got – uh, Blankenship with the growing problem now. Now, I think Blankenship would be a guy that probably would have played in that game. You had to play some guys. But the guys I wasn't playing are Hertz, uh, Kelsey, Lane Johnson, um, A.J. Brown. Like, I don't want my key guys and my older guys. Like, Fletcher Cox, he got the day off. That was smart. Give him the day off. Get him at optimal. Yeah. Like, what was your reasoning for giving him the day off? 
It's the same reason you should have taken for everybody else. Jeff in Ocean City says, Mike, the final chapter is yet to be written on the 2023 Eagles, but where will they rank in the greatest collapses in Philadelphia history? One reporter has it at four right now with the 2011 huh. Phillies, then the 2021 Sixers, then the 64 No team one. has looked uglier than this. No team has had such a disparity in how they looked for ten weeks and then they looked the final five weeks than this team right here. By the way, Adam Schefter hinting that there's a mystery team in the Bill Belichick sweepstakes that hasn't fired its head oh coach boy. yet. Let the speculation oh begin. Boy. Sal Palantonio will ask him, does he think Nick Sirianni's coaching for his job? That's next. City. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Welcome back to a Sports Bash Thursday, 97.3 ESPN. This hour brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Broadley's is your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and insulation for generations. Call them 609-390-3907 or visit them online at broadleys.net. It's not a Friday, but it is a Sal Pal Day. ESPN's Sal Pal Antonio getting us ready for the Eagles and the Buccaneers. It's a super wild card weekend, and this one will air on his network Monday night. We're about to break it all down right now with Sal Pal Antonio here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Sal Pal, well... I don't know if the anticipation was what we thought it was going to be, but do you have any anticipation that this team can turn things around uh, this quickly from what we saw last week? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the program on Thursday. I thought it was a good idea to start off super wild card Saturday and Sunday on Monday on Thursday (laughs) at 3 p.m. On the sports bash. So Super Wildcard Weekend starts early on your show, and I'm here to do it. And the short answer to your question is yes. I do expect the Eagles to win this game. I do expect the Eagles to turn things around. I do expect the Eagles to beat the Bucks. The Bucks have certain weaknesses that the Eagles, despite how they've been playing in five of the last six games, can exploit. They've shown that in the past. This year, they went down and they beat him. One. Two, Baker Mayfield is just not 100% physically. He's just not. I realize Jalen Hurts has not thrown a football since Sunday because of a dislocated finger. But Baker Mayfield has a bum wheel. He's got a bad ankle. He has uh, very, very dodgy ribs. He was hit in the ribs in that New Orleans game pretty hard. And so, you know, I think they can exploit that. Remember, Baker Mayfield has been sacked, Mike, 40 times this year. That's more than any quarterback going into these playoffs, 40. You can get to Baker Mayfield. He holds the ball. His offensive line is good, not great. He holds the ball. He tries to fight through sacks. Uh, And I think you can get to Baker Mayfield. It's been done this year. Well, 
these are things that the Eagles, you know, have done well when they were playing well. They got to the quarterbacks. They got sacks. They were able to get pressure. That has all gone away, Sal. And, and you mentioned, you know, hey, this is something they played this team and dominated them. It was probably their best performance of the year. So how did it go from where this team did things so well and, and you had a lot of expectations and hope to a team that looks so disjointed that you're basically hoping that the other team's ineptitude is your path to victory. Well, that is true. Sometimes the other team's ineptitude is your path to victory <laughs> while, you finger, while you figure things out. I don't know if they can figure things out. I don't know if they can go back to the way they've been playing. But I actually don't think it's a bad thing that Jalen Hurts has a dislocated finger in his right hand. That means they'll run the ball. <laughs> that means they'll hand the ball off to Swift and Gainwell and Boston Scott. That means that they'll play the kind of offense that they played against the Bucks when they beat them down there in Tampa 25-11. to 11. Uh, yeah. Let me tell you a brief anecdote. They ran 40 so times in that the, game, by the way. So they ran the ball 40 times that that night. Yeah, we're all, we're all aware of the numbers. It's just a question of the willpower, right, Michael? It's just a question of the willpower. Yep. So let me tell you a brief story about, and I'll be brief. After the Giants game, I like to stand outside the locker room and wait for players to come out so I can talk to them one-on-one. That's a little trick of the trade for all of you young journalists out there. Don't go into the locker room with all the cameras and get all of the sound and reactions that everybody else is getting. That's stuff you can get from other places. What you can't get sometimes is Lane Johnson is the first player to come out. Lane Johnson doesn't talk to the media. He comes straight out of the locker room. And I greet him in the hallway in the bowels of Giant Stadium in that life. And I stop him, and we chat, and we've known each other for a long time. And I said, all right, I'm going to ask you, as a guy going to the Hall of Fame, as a guy being an all-pro, as a guy being a Pro Bowl player, as a guy who's a leader on this team, what do you do to fix it? And he looked right at me, and he said, you're looking at him. It's real simple we got to go back and lean on our strength, and that's our offensive line like we did the last time we were down in Tampa. we got to lean on our offensive line. We are good enough to dominate them with our offensive line. And then, of course, the numbers came out this week. Pro Football Focus had them as the number one offensive line in the National Football League, Mike. Saw that. So this is not – this is, a, this is a, in my view, right in front of them that they can turn it around by focusing on their strengths. Um, you mentioned willpower. Do you think in your mind, Sal, that there's such a sense of urgency about jobs in this game? There's so much. Bill Belichick steps down. He's available. Mike Vrabel's available. Pete Carroll gets let go. Is there urgency of, man, if we don't get this thing right, we could all be out of here? Yeah, when was the last time Mike Vrabel was in the Super Bowl as a head coach? First of all, so, you know, Mike Vrabel is a nice guy, and I've known him forever, but Mm -hmm. uh, I I don't want him coming in here and replacing Nick Sirianni and certainly don't want any of these guys who are on the um, other end of 70 years old coming in uh, and leading a very young football team. I don't think that is going to work at all. Um, and as you know, and I've said to you on your program many, many times, I don't like to speculate about head coaching jobs because I know these coaches. Mm-hmm. I know their families sometimes, and it's just not the right thing to do. Uh, I, as far as the coordinators on this team, 
it's pretty well established with their record and what they've done that they need to change at the end of the year, no matter what happens, unless they go to the Super Bowl and win it. But I am not for changing Nick Sirianni for Belichick, Carroll, or Vrabel, or anybody else, or any of these coordinators that are hanging out there. That's not what I'm about. I'm not at all thinking about changing Nick Sirianni's job. I, I uh, uh, changing the head coach job. I'm, I'm focused on what can this team do to win a football game in the playoffs against the very beatable team. So, Mike, if they come out and it's first and ten in the first quarter, and it's supposed to be raining like crazy Monday night, you're aware of that, right? You've seen the forecast. You've also seen how the ticket prices have plummeted on the secondary market. Nobody would, can get rid of their tickets. Nobody. I would imagine. I would imagine. Nobody can get rid of their tickets. The rain is supposed to be bad Monday night. This is Swapsville, USA, man. If they come out in the shotgun and start throwing the ball all over the place, then I know then we're wasting our time. That they didn't learn anything. They don't know what they're doing, and they all got to go. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know what happened on Monday. If you were saying you were sitting there, I, I mean, Hurts hurts his finger. Now today he hasn't thrown the football, and – um, that you, he, you said that, he never should have played in that game against the Giants, Mike. Agree, never. I, I agree. Um, Brown, what do we think about Brown? Did you get any indication seeing him afterwards that he's going to be all right, or is that going to be up in the air? It's, it's too early, Mike. You got you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday to heal, and then you got all the way till Monday night. I, I think that goes all the way till Monday night. The same thing for AJ Brown. Yeah. You got a lot of time. Five days is a lot of time with professional trainers, Mike. It is. Oh, listen. I, but I agree with you, Sal, that I don't know what they had to gain by playing. I get it if, if Dallas would have lost that game. But, hey, you put yourself in that position by needing Dallas to lose. At that point, I think you're better off with just getting away from the game for a week, getting your minds right, and getting healthy. Instead, you're going into this game compromised. Compromised and embarrassed. And embarrassed and on top of it. But have you ever seen, Sal, you've been around that's this game poor, a long that's time. Poor management. That's where, that's where the, that's where the general manager has to step in and say, no, sorry, not playing. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I would agree that somebody had to be the bigger person and say, look, we, whether we win this game or not, what are we gaining from this game? Um, and and live to fight another day. Now you put yourself in this position. But have you ever been around a team? It's one thing, Sal. Like people talked about the Dolphins. Wow, they didn't really beat anybody this year. They they, they you know Dallas. Ah, they couldn't win on the road. But you're in those games. It just takes a play to kind of flip it. This team is not hasn't been a play away. They have just been complete. I've never seen a team so disjointed in all my years watching. How un organized they seem on mostly the defensive side of the ball but on the offensive side of the ball how clunky they have looked it is very discouraging it is very discouraging we haven't talked about the defense so let's talk about the defense let's do it okay so you know i'm a big fan of baker mayfield and when baker mayfield is hot he's hot and if he sticks his foot in the ground and gets the ball out uh, in 2.3 seconds, like he did against the Jaguars, and he's hitting Mike Evans on those shallow crossers and those quick end cuts and the skinny posts, forget it. Mm-hmm. Just forget it. And the same thing goes with Chris Godwin. 
So you have to find ways to get those guys held up long enough on the line of scrimmage that Baker Mayfield is holding the ball where the rush is in his face. I mean, it's really not that difficult, honestly. It's not that difficult. If you can shut down or slow down their best two wide receivers, his first two reads, and make him hold the ball for a half a tick more, you can get to him. Everybody has gotten to him. I'll say it again. He has been sacked more than any quarterback 40 times that's gone into, that's going into playoffs right now. And most uh, of any of the playoff teams. So, so you can get to him. And the way to do it is to make him get to that third read. And his third read is obvious. One is Evans, two is Godwin, the other is the tight end. Yeah. So um, it's not going to be that difficult. And you're right, they have looked... Uh, for lack of a better term, <laughs> lost. Just lost. Lost. In lost. Secondary. All over the place. Lost. Uh, Darius Slay said today it might be a good thing to go on the road. They get booing fast in Philly. We don't need the boos. Um, number one, does that kind of give you a glimpse of where the confidence of this team is? And do you agree that it might be better for them to get on the road? It's, it's not a question of confidence. It's psyche. I, I agree with Darius Slay, by the way. Hundred <laughs> percent, and I said this last week to you on this very show. I said, you know, the team president, and I know the Eagles listen to me on this show all the time to at the front office, and and I, they, you know, play, teams make a lot of money. The organization, the franchise, makes a lot of money off of playoff teams. That's unshared revenue. Mm-hmm. You don't have to share that with the other teams. That's money in your pocket. So they wanted two home playoff games. Don't get me wrong. But the psyche in the locker room is they don't want the bad vibes in the building. And I get that. But there's going to be a lot of Eagles fans down in Tampa, Mike. Eagles fans travel. Yeah. But, Tam- you know. Get uh, the ACY, you get a quick flight down there to Tampa. It's pretty easy. It's pretty inexpensive. I saw you can get in the building, fly down there, uh, the whole nine yards for like 300 bucks. Mike, I'm telling you, the, t- the, number, the ticket prices have plummeted. Oh, jeez. The ticket prices have plummeted for this game. I was just on the radio in Tampa, and they were talking about it because of the rain. Pretty crazy. I'm going down early. I, and this is something I said to you last week. I said, hey, get the fellas out of Dodge. Yep. Get them on a plane. Get them to the uh, Sand Pearl Resort in Clearwater <laughs> where the Phillies sometimes stay. Hang out there. they got a nice spa. They're on the beach, a nice pool, five-star restaurant. It's a well, great spot. That's a great spot. I was there in March, man. I was watching. Oh man, that place is great. Walk across the street and hit the Clear My Sky Cafe Tony for a little. To the show right now, and she's like, "Yeah, let's go now because we go down there all the time for St. Patty's Day to watch the films." Yeah, I'll be down there. I'm leaving the 16th. Uh, I'm going the 19th, 19th to the 26th. I'm missing St. Patty's this year, but uh, Sam Pearl know it well, and maybe if they get there and get a couple of those grapes fed to them, they might feel a little bit better as they get ready for this game. But Sal. And then, you know, I, I, I love that place. It's almost as good as Uncle Bill's in Ocean City <laughs> with Johnny G and the Griner team at Burger Realty in Ocean City, New Jersey. It's close, Michael. Almost as good. In March, it's good. I go down there and get away a little bit, but still miss my oceans. I haven't been down to Ocean City in months and months. Got to get down there. Well, I'll tell you what. The people in Ocean City aren't feeling very confident, Sal. <laughs> I can tell you that much. 
I can tell you that much. All right, man. Well, safe travels, and uh, we'll see you on the old boob, too. You you had the snow behind your early uh, Sunday morning last week. Oh, yeah. Yep, we had I've had some bad weather this year, Michael. Bad weather. Raining on Monday night, you know, Tampa to – but, you know, it doesn't matter as long as – as long as I'm not in Buffalo or Kansas City. <laughs> right off Dale Mabry Drive, the Eagles and the Buccaneers on Monday night. Hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN, Sal Palantonio. All right, man, enjoy the trip. I got Eagles winning 23-20 on a Jake Elliott field goal. 23-20 Jake Elliott. He would be the guy uh, that you can depend on right now, it seems like. All right, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Michael. All right, Sal Palantonio, 23-20. You know, he talked about the willpower and the urgency of this team. I like his insight of talking to Lane Johnson. How can we turn this around? You're looking at it. If the Eagles, okay, can go, you're Jason Kelsey's, you're Lane Johnson's. Those would be the two guys. If you can get those two guys to go to Nick Sirianni and say, Nick, put this game and put this season on our shoulders does anybody feel better you heard what sal said the finger of jalen hurts is compromised he hasn't thrown the ball in fact he's had practice today and nothing because of that finger what if they have to run the ball what if you're forced to do something that you didn't really want to i would come back five from danny rye My trusty on-site producer has five questions that are hot on his mind. And they're next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's the Super. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. As the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. Now they've got him! They've got him! It's a sack! This is South Jersey's official home for Eagles playoff football. 97.3 ESPN. Welcome back to the Sports Bash. We're live at Chickies and Pete's, of course, every Thursday throughout the football season, and hopefully we have more football. Sal Pal has the Eagles 23-20. A Jake Elliott kick will win it all. Sports Bash this hour brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Eating, and Air Conditioning. Broadley's is your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them 609-390-3907. Online at Broadley's. Net. It's five from Danny Rye. These are the five hot topics in his mind today. It's um, a crazy day, man. We got coaching changes. We've got uh, the Eagles playoffs. We've got Super Wild Card Weekend. You know, the Phillies, are, are all their arbitration numbers are coming out right now. Ranger Suarez, Jeff Hoffman, some others have uh, signed deals to return to the Phils. Yeah, they're showing some interest in a few uh, low-end relievers as well to possibly – fill up that bullpen but we're going to start with the philadelphia eagles a name you've brought up a few times 
during today's show. Eagles offensive coordinator Brian Johnson is drawing interest from at least two teams right now to possibly be their future head coach. Those two teams, as you mentioned earlier, Mike, being the Carolina Panthers and the Tennessee Titans. So, Mike and Josh, my question is, do you think that the NFL views Brian Johnson differently than the Eagles possibly do? Who knows what the front office thinks, but definitely than Eagles fans do. And do you think he'll actually receive a head coaching job somewhere once it's all said and done? Not this year. I don't think he's going to get one of these jobs that he's up for right now. But, yes, he is viewed differently than the fans. I don't know if he's viewed differently by the team. I think the Eagles team views him very positively. They gave him this job. They like his relationship. One thing that Johnson was known for is, you know, working with quarterbacks. And I think everybody wants their quarterback position to be in good hands. And I think a team that would hire him makes sense for Carolina, Tennessee, Will Levis, You know, do they look at Brian Johnson as a guy that can unlock the key to these two young quarterbacks? That's why Tennessee could be interested. That's why Carolina could be interested. We want a guy who can get the most out of our quarterback. Brian Johnson is credited for kind of getting through to Jalen Hurts. They've been had a relationship, but getting him from the guy that he was in 2022 or 2021 to the guy he was in 2022. Now, what role does he have in where he is now? Right. That is the $64,000 question. But I think, yes, teams do view him differently than the fans do, no question about it. Josh, what say you? I made the comment yesterday, and I'll say it again today, that I think that, you know, just because someone might not be the greatest coordinator doesn't mean they might not be a good leader of men. You know, I don't look at Brian Johnson as a, a successor or failure with Philadelphia, meaning he can't be a head coach. There's plenty of guys who can run an organization who might not be great play callers and guys who might be like savants as a play caller, but they can't. They can't lead ducks to water, for goodness sake. So, I mean, who who really knows? You know, Brian Johnson, for all we know, could be the next great coach in this league, but he just might be a mediocre play caller. Yeah, I don't know why we associate being a great play caller on either side of the ball. Dan Quinn is a great defensive coordinator. Is he a good head coach? He was okay in Atlanta. I don't think he was, you know, oh, my God, I have to have this guy. We always feel like because the guy's a good coordinator that that's the guy we want to go out and get. When there's so many examples of that failing, John Harbaugh, not a coordinator, great head coach. Why? He's a leader of men. He doesn't get bogged down on game day calling plays. He has trust in his assistants, and then that elevates them. So I would much prefer... Um, like as a head coach, a guy who, much like Sirianni, doesn't call the plays, who's more of the CEO head coach. But I don't know where we got this whole just because you're a good yeah. coordinator that you are then going to become a good head coach. Some people are just good at being the number two. Well, a good coordinator got a six-year deal from the Las Vegas Raiders and was not a good head coach. Got canned six weeks into that six-year deal being Josh McDaniels. Another one being Bill O'Brien over in Houston. Led him to the playoffs, but good coordinator, not a great coach. And obviously they gave him too many, uh, too much responsibility over there at Houston to the point where he was the GM, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get a head coaching job just yet unless, you know, maybe the Panthers say, We're, we've already hit the bottom. We've already hit rock bottom. How much lower can we go? Why not take a chance on this guy if he can get something out of Bryce Young because, well, he just did not look good in his first season, to put it lightly. All right, number two, sticking with the coaching carousel, 
I mean, in the NFL, the coaching carousel has hit the ground running with Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh drawing heavy interest from NFL teams. And now Bill Belichick is on the market after he and the Patriots decided to part ways after 24 seasons together. And then lastly, former Titans head coach Mike Vrabel now on the open market after being fired by Tennessee. So Mike and Josh, my question for you is, and obviously that was just more of the notable names that have hit the uh, open market. My question for you is, regardless of what you think the Eagles should do about their head coaching position, do you think they will actually fire Nick Sirianni after the season? And if so, who would be your preferred candidate to take over in Sirianni's place? Um, do I actually think they would fire Nick Sirianni? Yes, I do. If they get embarrassed on Monday night, and it's the defense, again, that just gets undressed, that's a fireable offense in my mind. And I don't think the Eagles would... Again, this goes back to, if Nick Sirianni was definitively the guy who made the decision to make the defensive coordinator change, like if we believe... What Sirianni said, hey, it was my idea. I went to them. And they said, fine, but it's your ass. Well, guess what? If that was what happened yeah. and they get embarrassed on Monday night, then yes, I could see him get fired. Um, if I was – now, I know Sal said he's not interested in Vrabel. I like Mike Vrabel. I think Vrabel has done a lot with a less. Those Titans teams did not have an overwhelming amount of talent. I think uh, he would be – uh, a good coach for this team and this town. Uh, I'm not really in the Belichick market. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's because I don't think Belichick can't coach anymore. To me, it's more, I don't know that I'm interested in going for a guy in his 70s trying to, like, get one more bite of the apple. Well, considering um, the way the Eagles go through coaches, maybe it's good to have a guy for only a few years. Maybe, yeah, right. but I will say this. Every non Brady season in terms of winning seasons. I think I read that Belichick is two and eight in terms of he has had a season that he coached without Tom Brady. It's been ten times. He is two and eight in terms of making the ending that year. No, ending that year with a winning record. He Finished, he's done it twice. He's twice finished with a winning record. I don't know if that's true. Brady. Let me double check that because I, I thought the stat was make the playoffs because the one year they had a winning record, they didn't make the postseason. Well, the one year, right, was in New England when they had um, Castle. They won like 11 games and didn't make the playoffs that year. So he has not had a whole lot of success without Tom Brady. So and you- you think you'd go a guy like Mike Vrabel right now as your preferred candidate on the Vrabel's market? Vrabel's a young guy. He has shown that he is there for the long haul in Tennessee. He's one with less talent. He has a relationship with A.J. Brown. I definitely think, and by the way, I think he'd be a good ambassador of football in this town. He's a tougher guy. He's a defensive-minded guy. Derrick Henry, run the ball. I just don't think that the Eagles would go that route. But that's you asked the question of who I like. Yeah. That would be a guy that I like. Yeah, I mean, he did a lot less, or did a lot more with less, I should say, over in Tennessee because of how limited that offense was in general at Tannehill at QB. Like, they got a, like a year and a half, two years of pretty good ball out of Tannehill, and then he fell off a cliff. So they had to rely on Derrick Henry a lot. Josh, what say you? By the way, it is it's, so he has three winning seasons without Brady. I can confirm that. So, But only two of those three seasons, they make the postseason. So, okay. um, but, you know, to me, so, okay, so it's a two-part question. So I think it's 50-50 if Sirianni's here next year. 
I think everything hinges on Monday. If they if they get like Mike said, if they get embarrassed on Monday, it's hard to see them keeping this as is. If Sirianni goes down to Tampa and they blow out the Bucks, then he's he's back next year. If he's not back next year, I mean, there's so many options. I mean, how about Pete Carroll, guys? I mean, why, why, why don't you just go, you know, what, you know, like, uh, Michael Keaton said, you know, want to go nuts? Let's go nuts. Yeah. I mean, if you can convince him, but it seems like he's going to take another Well, Pete said he still wants to coach. No, I, I think if you, you don't need to convince Pete. You offer him a job, Pete's out of the, out the door. Right. He said on the radio Monday, he wanted to coach. He didn't ask for this. They made him do this. Exactly. Okay. And by the way, Pete, Pete Carroll, Carroll I'm not interested in Pete Carroll, but that being said, that's Josh's answer. I, I wouldn't be interested in Pete Carroll Why is at that? this stage. Um, I, I just feel like they've been pretty average out there. I know Pete's a rah-rah guy. I think they're a good team with him. Uh, I'm not suggesting they should have won a Super Bowl because of the town. I know he's been pretty good, but he's another guy that, what's the life expectancy of that? I don't want a guy who I know is short-term. I don't want to go in saying... I have a short-term guy here. I want to hire a guy who I think is going to be my next Andy Reid. I want him to be the coach of my team for 10, 15 years. I can't guarantee that, but I want that going into the hire. Yes. I know that I'm hiring a guy in Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick that is not here for the long haul. Yeah, you went in Doug Peterson hoping and honestly expecting after the Super Bowl season that you'd get him for at least a decade. You didn't. Sirianni, you hoped he could at least stay around for five years. We'll see if that even gets to three years. But, uh... All right, so your answer is Pete Carroll. Is that set in stone, Josh? Yeah, I would like Pete. I okay. just think Pete would bring a, a breath bring of fresh Pete. air to the organization. He knows a lot of coaches around the league, too. His problem in Seattle, also don't forget, was the fact that their front office, John Schneider, they devalued the offensive line and the defensive line, whereas in Philadelphia, it's the opposite. Right. Okay. All right, number three. Let's talk about Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts admitted to reporters today that it, quote, probably wasn't the best idea, end quote, to re-enter the game on Sunday and revealed that he has not thrown a football at all this week. Now, that changed today at least a little bit. He was doing some short passes I saw on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, also, when asked if it's harder to throw or handle the ball, Hurts said, quote, everything is harder when your finger is out of place. So, uh, not great, but Mike and Josh, with everything we've learned today about Hurt's finger injury, do you think the injury top with Todd Bowles' blitz-heavy defense could make for a long night for the Eagles' QB1, Jalen Hurts? Uh, no, because if they simplify things and hand the ball off, they ran the ball 40 times when they played in Tampa before. If he hands the ball off 40 times, not a rough night at all turning around and handing it to somebody. And we'll or see if they not even it, turning around. I guess, uh, how, what would, how would you describe when you're in the, I guess if you're in the pistol, you're still turning around as opposed to the shotgun and the guy's right to your left. But whatever it is, RPO, handing the ball yep. off, turning around, get under center. Um, if you hand the ball off 40 times and run the ball, it's not a rough night for QB1 because you're probably running clock in the lead and not being asked to do too much. Seems like the obvious answer. Seems like the obvious solution and thing to do on Monday night. Well, let's see if they actually do it and make the right decision. I could see Hertz running a decent amount as well. 
I think he'll be sliding fairly early, though, because of that finger. Might not have the best grip on that ball. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I just if this finger truly is as bad as he's saying it is, you haven't thrown a ball all week and it's Thursday and you're just getting some short passes in now, it concerns me a little bit if you do get into a shootout and have to rely on the pass game. But, Josh, what do you say about Hurts' finger injury, what we've learned today, and then matching up against a blitz-heavy defense led by Todd Bowles on Monday? I mean, the finger injury is a problem, but at the end of the day, if your game plan is to run the ball and, you know, get the ball out of Hurts' hands quickly for – you know, slants and intermediate patterns and not hold on the ball for five Mississippi and then ask Hurts to run around until somebody gets open. Right. You know, to, to me, it's part of the issue is the game plan, guys. Like, and this is where we don't know, is it Sirianni? Is it Brian Johnson? Is it Kevin Petullo? Who is the person who's sitting in the meetings during the week is like, hey, guys, you know what's a great idea? Let's hold the ball for five seconds. Like, I don't know who that is. It's like when James Harden was in Philadelphia. Let's dribble out the shot clock to about six seconds left, and then I'll pass it to my teammate with three. And they, right. can, they can handle the rest. Yeah, it's so to me, I'm less worried about Hertz's hand when it comes to mm-hmm. bowls as I am what the game plan is. Because at the yeah. end of the day, every film breakdown guy who's got half a brain who played in the NFL is all pointing out the same thing. The Eagles had done a horrible job of handling the blitz because guys don't know right. what they're supposed to be doing. Well, you heard what Sal Powell said. If, you know, if the willpower, tar- turning things over to the offensive line. You know, he said he talked to Lane Johnson after the game. What do you need to do? Put the game on our shoulders. The offensive linemen want this. They want this game should want on this. their shoulders. So, um, I-, I think if the Eagles, look, if I'm Nick Sirianni and I know my uh, seat's getting a little warm, I might simplify things please, a little bit more. Please just push the right buttons. Like there's a there's realistically a world in which Jalen Hurts possibly could throw the ball less than twenty times and you win that ball game by two scores because of how much talent is on the offensive side of the ball. And you don't have to be throwing deep if your fingers out of place and hurting and swelling up, Jalen. You have these playmakers that can get so much so many yards after the catch that you don't have to be throwing the hero ball every single time. But you know, we don't know if that's a message from Brian Johnson, Sirianni, whatever it is, if he's audibling into it. I just think that, you know, like you guys said, the simpler solution needs to be uh, utilized on Monday. But number four, let's take a look at the Philadelphia 76ers, specifically Tyrese Maxey and the Philadelphia 76ers. They fell to the Atlanta Hawks last night, 139 to 132. Of course, Joel Embiid missing his second straight game due to a knee injury. However, Maxi scored 35 points along with eight rebounds, nine assists, and four steals. According to DraftKings Sportsbook, Tyrese Maxey is the clear favorite to win the NBA's Most Improved Player Award with minus 240 odds compared to the next closest player being Houston center Alperen Sengun with plus 270 odds. With plenty of time left in the season, Maxey has his work cut out for him. But if he wins it, Mike and Josh, he would be the first 76er to win the award since Dana Barros in 19. 19- 95. So my question for you both is, all bias aside, if Tyrese Maxey, or is Tyrese Maxey, clearly this season's most improved player in your eyes? Uh, I, who are the other? I mean, Sengun's been pretty darn good. Right. I don't know that anybody even knew who he was a year ago. Maxey still had a pretty solid year last year. He wasn't a podcast recently saying that he was very disappointed about, about the benching, it, like, the benching yep. and not starting. Uh, Sengun, I think, is I mean, no one's ever heard of the guy until... I mean, I know who he is, but I'm saying, like, um, I think he's a pretty high draft pick. So you take a look at... He's averaging, like, 20 a game out there. I mean, he's had a tremendous year. I bet him a lot in player props. Um, so I would think that 
his lack of notoriety might help him out in terms of who else is on the market. Who else is in that? Uh, is- I'm trying to pull it up right now. My signal's a bit wonky here, but uh, I saw Sangoon, Maxi, obviously, I think. I'm getting it up right now here. Bear with me. But, Josh, what do you think? I mean, minus 240 odds for Tyrese Maxi. That sounds like it's not even close. It's, but- yeah, exactly. I want nothing to do with those odds. To me, like Mike said, most people have no idea who Sangoon is. And to me, that guy should be the guy. No offense. I love Maxi. Maxi's probably my favorite sixer right now. But to me, Sangoon, I mean, Maxi was playing the lead for a few years. People have seen him around. Sangoon, what, what do you have, a seven-point point per game increase this year? Like, the guy is just going absolutely off. Yes, uh, Halliburton's on that list, but he's hurt right now. Yeah, so Scotty Barnes, who apparently is the face of the league, <laughs> right? According to his coach, right? Yeah, so um, Maxi minus two forty, Sangoon plus two seventy, then Barnes third at plus sixteen hundred, Kobe White in fourth at plus nineteen hundred, and then Tyrese Halliburton rounding out the top five at plus twenty five hundred. Yeah. So I mean, Sangoon's stats went from. 14.8 points per game last year with nine rebounds and four assists to 21.6 points per game, nine rebounds and five assists. Now, Maxi has gone from like 16 a game to almost like 26 a game. So he went from 20.3 points per game last year to 26.2. His rebounds increased from 3 to 3.7 and his assists from 3.5 to almost 7 at 6.7. And by the way, Maxi could be an all-star this year as right. well. So, I mean, yeah, those things all help him. I would say this, you know, Maxi last night tried to carry that team all by himself uh him and harris they didn't get a lot of help last night no. although he did get fouled on that last uh late in the game yeah i mean so do you think tyrese Maxey deserves with this season over a guy like sangoon he seems the closest to be the first most improved player since 95 as a 76 yeah the question is yeah i mean i'm not gonna argue it if he if he wanted sure he, he, he's certainly do you think sangoon favorite. might be a little bit more deserving i just think right that sangoon is lesser known and kind of like you know kind of came more out of nowhere gotcha. going from 14 again maxi scored 20 a game sangoon later. sangoon is the guy that you pull up the the meme of conor mcgregor where he says who the bleep is that guy you know like that that's who sangoon is maxi's right. more like a wow that's so cool kind of thing yeah. well as i said uh, Maxi did score 20 a game last year. It's not like he, you know, was a stiff. Right. You know, uh, Sangoon wasn't either 14 a game, but he is, I think, a much larger, uh, they both have much bigger roles on their teams this year than they did last year, but 20 points a game to 26, you were a good player, now you're a very good player. Sangoon was like an average guy who's now become a really good player. That said, um, do you know who Dana Barros was? No. Do not. Boston I was not College, alive. Baby. Boston College. Oh, don't bring up Boston College these days. Oh, after, yeah. After Monday's trade. Don't bring it up. He's a BC guy. Boston <laughs> College. I remember Barrow scoring 50 in a game one day. No. Yeah, he, he went nuts in that one game for the Sixers. Yeah. Wow. Legend. I didn't I didn't see him. I he was also uh, played for the Celtics for a hot minute, too. Seven years away from he joining this world. He was a journeyman. He bounced all over the place. All right. My fifth and final question here on five with Danny Rye. It's a big weekend in the NFL. Out of all the super wild card weekend playoff games, which are you most excited to watch? Numero uno and why? Um, good question here. All right. Most excited to watch is the one I can't watch. Probably Miami and Kansas City. <laughs> you know where you can watch that? Chickies and Peach at Tropicana and oh. Chickies and Peach in Ang Harbor Township. Yeah, They'll right. have the game streaming live off uh, Peacock. That one, maybe the Rams in Detroit. It's a good matchup. I was going to say that as well. I mean, you have the McCarthy-Green Bay rematch. I just think Dallas-Rochambeau's them. I mean, if they don't, that's a problem. 
Dallas I love, is so, love to use that word. Dallas is so much better than, than Green Bay is, in my mind, right. anyway. So that shouldn't be a competitive game. And if it's competitive, then that's a, that's a strike against Dallas. But I think the most competitive games are Miami, Kansas City, and Detroit and L.A. Well, that's the first playoff game in Detroit in, like, what, 30-plus years? 93. Uh, before Dana Barrows won the, uh... <laughs> and then you have in Kansas City, they're going to say it's going to feel like negative thirty degrees with the wind chill come yeah. game time. So I mean, you're going to have some conditions affecting that ball game as well. And the Miami players definitely aren't used to. Sangoon, by the way, is almost averaging a double double. He averages nine boards a game as well. Right. All right. Uh, coming up next hour, football at four. Jeff Mosher's here. Uh, he's been. The podcast this week, they've been talking a lot about some things that they've been seeing and hearing on film about why the Eagles are struggling. Can they turn it around? That's coming up in 14 minutes from now. And we've also got T.J. Reeves from the Buccaneers Radio Network tonight at 5.30. Do the Buccaneers fans see that the Eagles are a wounded animal right now? 5.30 T.J. Reeves for the Buccaneer Radio Network here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 353 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Sixers lose last night. Flyers won. As they uh, got a assist, Jamie Drysdale's first night. I liked how the uh, Flyers social media team was like right off the bat, like you know they're really trying to like, hey, he's getting along in here pretty good. Yeah, he wants to be a Flyer. He's uh, he's enjoying it. So Drysdale made his debut last night for the Flyers. That's an all timer story, by the way. Just the whole situation around Cutter Gauthier just doesn't want to play here. Yeah. Why doesn't he want to play here? So many theories out there. And then last night, Tortorella tears into uh, one of the reporters, Anthony Sanfilippo, who I actually know pretty well. Um, good dude. Like his work. And I guess he had, you know, went on his podcast and talked about this whole Kevin Hayes thing. Well, it turns out Hayes was getting, like, death threats. It's part of the problem here. These fans are psychotic. Yeah. Like, you could be, if he did have some sort of cause and effect relationship with that, you could be mad at him, but death threats? It goes back to, like, the Danny Green thing in the bubble a few years ago. The dude missed a few three-pointers, now you want his family dead. It's crazy that any fan could allow themselves to get to that level of just impulse. Like, the fact that I like this player and I wanted him... He didn't want to be here, and they think it's because of you. Now, I don't, I'm not saying whether his source is right, wrong, indifferent. I have no clue. Um, Tortorella called him out last night. He said, who's the person who came up with this? San Filippo said it was me. He said, that's BS. And I thought Tortorella actually was, 
because apparently him and Hayes didn't get along. He said, look, we had a disagreement, but he's a good man. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, the fan who threatens Hayes or the fans who have threatened Hayes, man, you need to reevaluate your life. Seek some help, please. Uh, Flyers tomorrow night, right? Yes, sir. Tomorrow night. 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. And, of course, you can hear that game uh, on our sister station, Rock 104.1. They're playing the Wild. Sixers play the Kings tomorrow. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Just hungry to bring back another Lombardi to Philly. Uh, it's, uh, the fans deserve it. Our team deserves it. Uh, culture begs for it. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It is brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary. At Bet365. Jeff Mosher is here on a Thursday edition as we are five days away from the Eagles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Mosher, I don't think anybody feels any better. No, I don't think they do, Mike. Uh, I don't think that with the injury report coming out today that there's much of a reason to feel any better about the Eagles' prospects. Yeah, let's get into that. Generally on a Friday when Adam's here, we look right at that injury report because it comes out right around 4 o'clock on a Friday. Uh, let's go through them real quick. Did not participate today. Start with A.J. Brown. Uh, and kind of give us your thoughts on, on Brown. You know, is this just, hey, he's going to miss the whole week? We hope he plays or he will play. Or is there general uh, thought in your mind that he might not be able to play in this game? Yeah, you know what we reported in the last Inside the Birds podcast, the one that came out yesterday morning, Adam had a note on uh, believed there'd be an MCL sprain that he can play uh, through. He obviously isn't practicing. Uh, you, you wonder if some of that is just because it's going to take all the way up until Monday. That extra day is huge, by the way. We had a a good discussion on our for our Patreon members about with John DiFilippo, former Eagles quarterbacks coach, about just how much that one day can matter, especially for a playoff game. So it really helps. It gives him an extra time. I mean, it's a night game, too. So it's almost an extra day and hours to be able to re be ready. The, the, the issue you have, Mike, is that even if he plays, what percent is he playing at? If he lands awkwardly on it, is it going to hurt? I mean... It's not just like, all right, I play, I'm great. You know, it's I'm playing through something that I've got. And you've, you've already got Devontae Smith playing through. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I guess he was on the report today, right? He practiced in full, but we know that he had an ankle. Smith actually said, Smith actually said he's going to play, I think. Yeah, he's going to play, but again, you're, you're not at a hundred percent. So your top two perimeter playmakers, not going to be a hundred percent. Not so great. Yeah, um, obviously Hertz is, is the, the biggest one here. Brown, because we saw the knee and it looked pretty bad. Um, Hertz hurt the finger, came back in the game, then admitted today he probably shouldn't have came back in the game. It's gotten worse to the point he hasn't thrown the football. I don't know. You just talked about the receivers are compromised. The quarterback is now compromised. I guess you kind of feel where this could be heading. Is this a game where they simplify things and they ran the ball 40 times against Tampa last time? Does it feel like this might have to go, have to go in that direction? 
Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. And before that, I'll just say it is at least a little bit of good news that um, Cam Jurgens, who got his eye poked or something, he had an eye injury out of that game, seems to be okay now. Yeah, he's not on uh, the injury and, report at all. Not even on the injury report, so that's good. So the, no, the and by the way, real is, quick, uh, Slay is a full participant, Smith was a full participant, and Swift was a full participant. Limited was Britton Covey and Jalen Hurts, and then Blankenship, Brown, and then, of course, Sidney Brown. Uh, they hmm. did not participate. Everybody else is clear and ready to go. Right. So um, I kind of have been of the mindset. I had a conversation about this with Quentin Michael, too, and we were both in sync on this, um, that whether or not the injury, they should just be simplifying what they do to make sure that what they're doing, they're doing correctly on both offense and defense. Uh, what that means on offense is, you know, you're going to get blitzed a lot. You know you struggled against the blitz. Let's get out there with 12 personnel. That makes it tough for a team to blitz you too much. Uh, let's get RPO game going. Let's get our quick quick game going so we get the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands quickly, efficiently, maybe get some yards after the catch in one-on-one situations. Let's not try to sit there and, and act like, you know, we're 10, like we were when we're 10-1 and one and we can just do – bombs away kind of things well actually they didn't even do that that much this year anyway so i think it's really important that they get back to basics uh which which coincides with facing a team that's going to blitz a lot anyway so that's that's good and then on defense mike they have been so utterly just paralyzed by their own play calling right and their own play designs that what i would recommend not that i'm anybody but what i really think that they need to do is just strip it down stop having edge rushers drop stop trying to do disguise and deception on the back end stop rotating like 50 different defensive backs in between big nickel nickel dime dime with roby dime with ricks nickel with roby nickel with ringo i would just very much simplify my personnel packages play Simple zone on first and second down, and then bring some pressure on third down. Nothing exotic, but man, man, defense and pressure. No, no, none of this crazy stuff that they've been trying and hoping would work, and has actually the only I, I said the only disguise and deception and confusion that this defense has done is to themselves, not the other quarterback. Well, so and, and your them. point I think is interesting, Mosh, is that if you just basic play a basic strip down defense. Okay, I might give up 24 points, but at least I can compete. I might yes. be able to compete. What I'm doing now is causing me to be non-competitive. I, I right. can't even compete because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm thinking too much. I'm out of position, and teams are now exploiting me being out of position and having to think too much. If, if it's just, hey, you know what, let's just go back to basics. You know, like in Tecmo Bowl, you would just pick four plays just pick one of the four, man. Just pick one of the four. Right. I mean, they do have enough talent on defense that you would think if I didn't have to recreate a defense 11 weeks into the season that I should be competitive. Um, competitive, yes. You know, obviously the, the nucleus of the talent that they have on defense is on the defensive line. But, you know, you know one of their best defensive linemen going into this year and at the start of the year is Josh Sweat. He is not the player he once was. And you know how we say, can all these guys have just gotten bad overnight? Well, the one, that's impossible. But the one guy who really jumps out at me on tape as it looks like he's 
uh, a real legit step and a half slower. And, you know, he's obviously had the knee, the uh, knee history is sweat. He's just not, he, his get off is different. Uh, Jason Navant and Quinn Michael have noticed that they, it sort of looks like he drags the leg a little bit on his rush. So he, and you're, you're starting to see Brandon Graham play a little bit more on the outside. So he, it's not Hassan Reddick. Hassan Reddick can still rush the passer and get off and has great speed. But, you know, without Josh Sweat being that other great edge defender, you know, they don't really have an Aaron Donald, right? They don't have a Micah Parsons. They just had a, always had a very strong defensive line where each guy out there was a very good player. Maybe not a Hall of Fame player, but a very good player. But when you take Javon Hargrave out, he's not here anymore, and then you take Josh Sweat and you reduce his impact – uh, and now obviously you see what Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter just, you know, playing extra snaps. They haven't been as effective. You start to wonder about that point about, well, is this really that talented of a defense? So if they were to strip it down and play just straight up zones and, and simplified things, I do think they would still get beat on the back end a whole lot because they get beat by receivers. They're not dynamic. They're not quick. They're not athletic on the back end. But to your point, Mike, you're not giving them – just free plays like Saquon Barkley, you know, uh, and um, Wandale Robinson. There were and, and somebody else had a, a cast. Slayton had a cast. There were like seven plays in that Giants game that were just made because the Eagles had no idea. Most, you know, there was the year where Nate Geary was the linebacker. And yes. you would come in on a Monday and you'd be like, you got to get 47 off the field. I mean, because teams are going into a game plan and saying, where's 47? Let's go after him. And they would just attack him. And it felt felt like on Sunday that the Giants said if the Eagles are going to drop Sweat and or Reddick into coverage, we're just going to run a third receiver right behind the coverage. We'll roll the quarterback out. Those guys will come after the quarterback, and there we are, wide open with nobody around them. And it's like <laughs> that happened. You don't get 22, 33-yard receptions all game long. Um, so it seemed malpractice of, of what was happening. But I would ask you this question. You talk about the talent and the drop-off. A lot of guys were here last year. Bradbury, Slay, Reddick, Sweat, uh, Fletcher, Graham. Now, I know the safeties are different. The linebackers are different. Um, but are we suggesting that the drop-off of those core players is so significant? Or is this a scheme thing? Uh, as far as returning players, I think. Because if I was to say, just, like, you look at last year's defense, you got a lot of the same core guys. They had 70 sacks. And, and these are, I mean, Slay, Bradbury, both guys here. Sweat, Reddick, both guys here. Fletcher, Cox, yeah. and Brandon Graham, well, both guys I mean, here. I, th- I think I think in some cases the answer to that is yes, Mike. I mean, I think James Bradbury is not the player that he was last year. It's very obvious. I think okay. Josh Sweat. Josh Sweat is not the player. That he was last so that's year. So that's two guys that we. That's about. two guys that we're definitively saying have have dropped off. Yes, and I will say this: that Reed Blankenship, I believe it's not that is a. I think is you know you come back when you outplay your draft or non-draft status, and then B, this new this new style of the. I, I think based I, I can't get in his head, but when you see a guy sort of. Who, who's known for being like a step ahead and very a great processor, and that's how he got to where he was, starting to get completely lost. I think that's because 
he's thinking a whole lot, right? Because, like things are in his head. Like, what am I? This is a different style. I'm not. Or he's either trying to compensate, because, but he is not for the last about four or five weeks, maybe even longer. He hasn't played the heady type of football that he was playing last year and earlier this year. And I and I have to think that that's a a byproduct of the defensive play calling switch and the, them doing new things and he just not being totally comfortable with him and the environment around him. Usually you see that when players are pressing or where they're you know how they say if you if you're if you're if it's in your head you can't play fast, you can't play instinctively. And that's what you're seeing from Reed Blankenship right now. No the instincts aren't there, the awareness isn't there and he's just not making plays. Um so that's that's three guys right there. Slay was has been hurt for the last three or four weeks, so that that obviously has impacted how they played defense and then in the pass rush you know, you don't have Hargrave from last year. And again, you know, I think you're getting good stuff out of Reddick, but it's different now when you got only one guy causing a lot of pressure compared to three or four. Uh, Jeff Mosher, football at four from the Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, Jeff, what? let's flip over to offense. Uh, the Giants blitzed this team to death last week. I would imagine Todd Bowles said, hey, I could do that too. So what do we know about Hurts, the blitz, and what we think could happen with this offense on Monday night? Well, we have a great um, analytics intern with us named Sam Finkel, and he has a, uh, a story up on our website right now. The headline is Feeling the Heat, and it's really a detailed look at how Jalen Hurts has performed against the Blitz this year. He's been the second most blitzed quarterback in the league. His numbers are actually not that terrible um, at, at, when you're looking at the whole year. But to your point on the Bucks, the Bucks came after him – the Bucks, who, by the way, have the third highest blitz percentage in the league, they came after him on 61% of his dropbacks in week three. That's a whole lot, and that's back when the Eagles were playing well and the Bucks were still trying to find themselves as a team. The The tables have almost been turned as the Bucks ended the year on a good note, other than that one really bad loss they had, uh, I think it was, was it Atlanta? I forget, they, oh, New Orleans. And the Eagles obviously did not end the season well. So what, what do we know? We know Todd Bowles wants to blitz anyway. We know Todd Bowles has now faced. This will be the fourth time Todd Bowles is facing Jalen Hurts, right? Because remember the, the two times they faced him two years ago, and then uh, obviously again this year, two almost similar, two times, Thursday night and a Monday night mm-hmm. uh, playoff game. So he's going to get blitzed. He's going to obviously see the tape from last week. He's going to see a couple of things. He's going to see that it's not just all on the hot routes, that there were major, major protection issues from the offensive line at times. There were major issues from Jalen Hurts having the awareness to know that if they're going to bring six or seven, then I've got to be able to get into a quicker drop and know where I want to go with the ball. There, I know everybody's complaining about hot routes, but there certainly are routes built into plays that you can see that are meant to beat a blitz if they're not quote-unquote hot routes. And then the other thing they are going to see are uh, a variety of blitzes in which the play call and play design was not good enough uh, to beat that blitz. So that's basically like, you know, giving candy to a baby for Todd Bowles, and he's going to try to exploit all of that. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, some people would say that's a basic thing in an offense, right? How do you not have those things built in? And I guess the question is, it's like the chicken or the egg. Is it not built in? Uh, is it Hurts that's missing the hot route? You know, wh- which one well, are we looking at here um, as what's a bigger part of the problem? Is it that the offense doesn't have it or that Hurts is missing it? 
or the well, receiver. Like yeah. I, I happened to be watching the game and they showed an aerial view of a play, and I'm like, I'm watching the play, and I said, none of these receivers turned around. They're all running fly patterns straight down the field on like a third down, and you know that's one play. So anybody can take that one play, dissect it, and say, see, they don't do it right. That's one play. Right. But what do you see from that? Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I think all three cases, uh, quarterback awareness, offensive line awareness, and play calling design were all conspiring against the Eagles. But you're right. There's a You can look at one snapshot and say, oh, we'll see the play calling stinks. They don't know how to prepare for a blitz. Come on. They didn't spend an entire week of practice last week against Wink Martindale, who they faced many times, and not think they were going to get blitz. They had routes designed to beat certain blitzes now maybe they got different blitzes they were expecting that's all part of the the cat and mouse game it's not just on the route concepts although that was a part of it and i'll i'll add a fourth thing in there mike there were times where i thought oh man like if if that was aj brown or Devonte smith that got off that press coverage on a blitz right then jalen hurts has a probably has a completion there but it's Olamide Zacchaeus, or it's Julio Jones, who's much older now, or it's Quez Watkins. So when you take all that, when you add that fourth thing into it, right, where he does want to throw the ball, he does have the awareness, the line picks it up, but my God, who am I going to throw it to? Even even the adjusted routes are not getting open. It's just a recipe for a bad offensive day. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, I think one of the things, if you just take a step back, because Brian Johnson's getting head coaching jobs, and, of course, it's like Gannon, drive him to the airport, I'll pack your bags, everybody's ready to move on from Brian Johnson. Um, I would ask the question in this way, Jeff. You got A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Swift, the best offensive line in football rated by pro football focus for whatever that's worth, and Jalen Hurts, who was second in the MVP voting. So you might ask, you have talent on this offense. Why are you struggling? Is it as simple to say it's got to be the play calling and the play design? Uh, no, like I said, there, there's there's a lot of layers to this. And remember, when when I think fans and, and local media, all of us, you know, um, I'm not absolving myself by any means, but it, it, we do know that there are more impatient people among us in either the fan or the media uh, base, but those people tend to weigh losses heavier than they weigh wins. I mean, does anybody have more quality wins this year than the Philadelphia Eagles? I mean, how many playoff teams have they beaten? They probably actually six? right. I think they have the best record in football against playoff opponents. I think they were six and two against playoff teams. Right. So we have to remember that the, that's how league the league will view uh, people as a whole, like coaching candidates. They're going to look at Brian Johnson and say, it's a winning culture. This team has now won double-digit games. They went to a Super Bowl the year before, double-digit wins, two straight years. Yeah, they're struggling here down the stretch. But they, they're going to – Brian Johnson was someone who even last year was regarded as a head coaching candidate, and now he's been a coordinator. So uh, that's all my point is saying that I don't think that teams around the league view – like small pockets of either success or failure in the big picture. Um, Like Dan Campbell, I I think we'd all agree has done a pretty good job, right? Coaching Detroit, building up that franchise. Now I forget where he was in 2020. Miami. I think he was with Miami. I think he was an intern. He was the interim coach in Miami for, I think after Flores maybe got, uh, 
I think you're right. I think you're right. But like, go go look at Miami's seasons. You know, uh, before that, before Mike McDaniel arrived, and and they weren't so great, right? They were. They had plenty of seasons that were not um, outstanding. In fact, yeah, he was with uh, no, he, he was, was with the Saints. Saints. My Saints. Saints. Yeah, he, he was, was with Miami. He was with Miami before that, and then he was with the Saints. He was, yeah. He was with the Saints. So go – I don't have it on me, but if you go look at, like, the Saints record in 2020, I, that was that maybe um, Breeze's – the point I'm just trying to make really is, um, you know, he was on some teams, I'm sure, and you know, going back to Miami, like where not everything was successful. Actually, the Saints were pretty good into that. They were, they were 12 and 4. So maybe he's not the best example. But my point is um, – the, the league will look at candidates more based on the culture they want these guys to bring in, their history, not just where they were last, but all together, you know, of college, who they've worked with, what they've done. So that the league views it differently than than obviously the the locals do. And by the way, Jonathan Gannon's a good point. You can the, the you can say what you want about Gannon, and you could have said he'll be a crappy head coach because of what he did uh, in his last year with the Eagles, only having the number two ranked defense, but. He did a good job in Arizona this year. They were a competitive team. They went into Pittsburgh and won. They went into Philadelphia and won. They beat the Cowboys, right? They they probably have more wins against playoff teams than most teams that are going to be picking in the lottery. And yeah, and they played games. they played a lot of competitive games this year. Um, yes, Mosh, we'll leave you with this. Obviously, Monday night. Um, it's 5-4. You're on the road. Darius Slate today said it's probably better that we get to go on the road. We don't need booze. Uh, that's that's an interesting part of this whole thing is the psyche of where this team seems to be. But do you think in your mind the psyche of this organization and this coaching staff is if they're a one-and-done team, changes are a-coming, and I mean big ones? I think, this, I, I think any coach – position, coordinator, whatever, on the Philadelphia Eagles, if that coach does not know the history of the organization when they take the job, then that's on them. Uh, I'm going to guess that most of them do, and I'm going to guess that most of those coaches know that even if it's not one and done, even if they beat the Bucks and then go get their asses – I'm sorry, am I – yeah, yeah, we can say that, right? You know, <laughs> go get a – you know, beat up badly against the 49ers or Cowboys, whoever they wind up playing, that – um Changes, a lot of them are going to happen. Nick Sirianni changes, or is he safe? I'm not, I'm not there, Mike. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's always the opposite. Remember, Jeffrey Lurie fired Doug Peterson three years removed from a Super Bowl, not because of Doug's, like, awful final season. Obviously, that contributed to having some discussions about how the franchise was going, but it was more about their vision for how to get the franchise back on track that they did not share the same way. So... You know, if Nick Sirianni loses by 35 points to the Bucks, then I think everything's on the table, right? But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, if he loses, though, and it's just an ugly game, 20, 2015, 26, oh, no, uh, I think that he and Jeffrey are going to obviously have the same conversation that Jeffrey would have with any coach after the season, and I, they're going to talk about how they fix it. But I, I would have to think that they would have to not have the same vision. But if you're Nick Sirianni, how do you not have a vision about rehauling your your yeah. defensive staff? And I also like think Sirianni is in a different spot than Doug. I mean, he went. I see. If Sirianni got fired today, would he be a candidate and hired by somebody, or do you think that he understands that 
This is his job, and if he doesn't have it, he might not get another chance. I mean, Doug, I to me... Would. I think he would get another shot. You think so? Okay, because Doug, to me, wins a Super Bowl. He knows he's getting another job, so he can push back and say, I'm not doing what you're asking me. I'll go work someplace else. I don't know that Sirianni believes that he's going to get hired immediately. I mean, he's been a little brash around the league, and... Well, like, you know, you know, you make a good point. He wasn't exactly uh, everybody's anybody's first choice, other than the Eagles a couple of years ago. I mean, it's hard to win as much as he has and not. I mean, three out of three playoffs—that's pretty good. Because yep. most teams, you have to inherit a bad team and get to it. I think he will be viewed as someone who definitely got a good roster handed to him yeah. when he got there. He had a great offensive and defensive line, and then. Got more, so that will be held against him. But I do think he would he would land. I guess job. Chip Kelly did get another job. He got fired. He did get another job right away too. San Francisco hired him right away because he did win a lot of games here. So Jeff yeah. Mosher inside the Birds podcast, which you can get on all podcasting platforms, and don't forget their YouTube channel. <laughs> Just search Inside the Birds. What is your schedule for Monday night? Well, we'll have a um, a podcast that'll drop that morning just to kind of go through the last minute injury intel that we get and matchups. And then at five o'clock p.m., we'll have Inside the Birds game live with myself, Adam, Greg Costello, and Jason Avant. All right, very good. And then of we'll course, look. after we'll have Inside the Birds game. Good stuff. Uh, check out their YouTube channel and all their social media platforms for that. And Mosh will be on Monday's show. We'll get his thoughts on how the game will go. Thanks, Mosh. You got it, Mike. Take care. Jeff Mosher, football at four, and he's brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. We're live at Chickies and Pete's. Don't forget, uh, they got the game here Monday. It's a long day Monday, starting with the Sixers at 1 o'clock. The Eagles and the Flyers both play on Monday night. Also, the rest of the week, you got a whole bunch of opportunities to come out here to Chickies and Pete's and check out some of the action including tomorrow you got Sixers and Flyers so you got both teams in action tomorrow night Saturday of course it's the wild card weekend you can watch both games Saturday here and then Sunday all three games so pick a day make sure you check out everything that Chickies and Pete's here in Atlantic City at the Tropicana has to offer as we get ready for the NFL playoffs when we come back it's today's sound of the day and that's coming up next on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. This is South. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Official home for Eagles playoff football. They field back. He looks. He fires. And it's intercepted. It is intercepted. No, he read it the entire way. It's the super wild card round as the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. 97.3 ESPN. All right, 435, time for today's Sound of the Day, and it's brought to you by Boardwalk Honda. They're giving you a chance to score big during those super wild card round. Shop online at BoardwalkHonda.com. Remember, from Maine to Miami, 
nobody beats a boardwalk deal. We are live at Chickies and Pete's. My on-site producer, Danny Ryan. We got today's sound of the day. Josh is back at the studios with today's sound of the day. What do we got? Well, guys, obviously a lot of people have had a lot to say about the state of this Eagles team. And one of those individuals who's had a lot to say is Brian Baldinger this week. He appeared on the Pardon My Take podcast and he opened the conversation with this salvo about the Eagles and their offense. I feel like if I was playing defense against the Eagles, that I would just be calling their plays out. Like, honestly, I, I, I know guys at the bar in South Philly that are calling <laughs> the same plays out. Like, they're just very predictable. And then, like, look, they played Wink Martindale last week against the Giants. All Wink does is pressure you. And they acted like they weren't prepared for it. Yeah, that's a shot right there. I mean, you got a former player who breaks down film, Baldy breakdowns. If you follow him on Twitter X, you know that that's what he does. He looks at film, he breaks it down, and he's essentially saying, there's a guy at Chickies and Pete's who could start calling out your offense. That's not a good thing. I would say this, you know, I think when things are going bad, like they are right now, that's a fair shot, you know, but when things are going well, they're running this offense and they have had success. So when, like, the, we, I go back to what A.J. Brown said. Oh, we ran the play against, uh, I think it was Seattle or, or Dallas. I think it was Dallas. Was the yeah. final play of the game? Oh, the, the second play of the game. Oh, the Dallas play was the second play of the game, yeah. Right. The second play of the game, he's like, we ran a play. If we executed the play, we score a touchdown. But one guy didn't do his job, and it blew the whole play up. So, like, there are <laughs> there is a yin and a yang to this, but I will say this. I just brought up Chip Kelly in the last segment, who, when he got to Philly, the offense was humming. It was very predictable. It was very basic, but they executed it very well. By the third year, though, they didn't have much more there, and he didn't evolve it. There wasn't much more to that offense, and people started to figure them out a little bit. So I'm wondering if now year three of Nick Sirianni's offense of teams have started to find the tendencies. They know more about Jalen Hurts. You know, they now have two years of film on Jalen Hurts and what he likes to do and what he doesn't like to do. Look, when you have a year like you did last year and you come off out of nowhere, if you're on the Eagles schedule this year, all offseason long, if you're a defensive coordinator, you're watching Jalen Hurts. What did he do last year that made him go from an average guy to second in the MVP voting? And you start to game plan to take that away. And as we get all the way to the end of the year and better teams start to come on the schedule, they start to say, we watched you in 2022, uh, 2021, 2022. And now in 2023, by the time you got to us, we have now seen more than, you know, 25 games of you and we're starting to figure some things out here so i do think baldy does have a point in that this offense looks like that there's not a lot of depth to it there's more of what brian baldinger had to say here's the uh, next part of what he because he he went on a very long explanation for his issues with the eagles offense when they came after him isaiah simmons coming free like they had no answer like what's your answer what should jalen hurts do if they've got a free hitter coming out, is there a hot read? Is there a sight adjust? Is somebody cutting the route off? Like their answer is Jalen getting out of the pocket and scrambling and running, which was a disaster last week. They didn't make one good play down the field. And so they look 
underwhelming and underprepared for what these teams are going to do to them. Um, yeah, I can't disagree with them, what we saw last week. Now, we just had a good conversation with Jeff Mosher about that, and, and he said it's really a three- or almost four-prong reasoning. Sometimes it's the quarterback. Sometimes it's the play design. Sometimes the receivers are at fault here. It, but whatever it is, no, I, there is no justification of why they are unable to figure out what's going on when teams blitz you these last couple Especially of weeks. Especially because it's not the first time it's happened, right? It's not like the, it's not like – what we saw on Sunday versus the Giants was not the first time this has been a problem. No, it happened the week before. <laughs> I mean, it happened a lot in the last – it's odd that it's happened frequently in the last six weeks, but this goes to what I was talking about with Jalen Hurts. I've now seen you on tape for two years and now ten games. I'm starting to read your tendencies a little bit more, and I know that you don't like to get flushed to the right or you don't like to get flushed – you know, you don't step into the pocket. All these type of things – you just keep giving more and more information to teams, and the great ones take their game to another level. Is Jalen Hurts out of levels? I don't know. Well, also, don't the coaches have to come up with a better strategy then, right? Like, don't the coaches have to be like, I, I just have trouble reconciling. You guys, tell me how you feel about this. I have trouble reconciling that Brian Baldinger sees this, and Dan Orlovsky sees this. And all these different former people from the league see the same problems, but the Eagles coaches can't comprehend it. Well, like McMullen said yesterday, I don't know, like, you know, Nick Sirianni was the offensive coordinator in Indianapolis when Phillip Rivers was there. The whole offense was hot routes. I mean, that's all Rivers did was check down. So it's not as if Sirianni doesn't know what a hot route is. Some people have accused them of that. Like, does he not know what that is? Well, you watch Philip Rivers. All he does is check down Charlie. So uh, it, it is bewildering to see them struggle so much in the past game against the Blitz where there's no one. Like, to me, Dallas Goddard should have 114 catches because if you're going to Blitz me and I need somebody, he just turns around and he's my security blanket. He's right there. Right. I, I don't get how he's not a bigger part of this offense if you're going to keep blitzing. Me. I mean, especially with where this team went in the passing game. They were doing great to start the year in the passing game. Obviously, we talked about it earlier in the show. Just the shootouts they were winning, coming from behind and having success in the passing game. And now it's like, I don't know what happened. I you know, I guess essentially Nick Bosa had it spot on. We laid the blueprint out for the league. Let's see. He said, let's see if the Cowboys use it. Well, the rest of the league has used it the past six weeks. And that really is the only thing you can chalk it up to because – a team doesn't just fall off a cliff like this because they don't have talent or a coach isn't trying to improve and adjust. Yeah. They're trying. They're, it's just not working. The buttons aren't working. But, well, Danny, to, to your point, I just want to ask then, so if the whole league has this blueprint, are the Eagles the only team that hasn't figured that out? Like, I guess so. Like They must just think that their ways and their tricks are going to eventually prevail if they try and just tweak things a little bit. And I think this is a bigger problem than just tweaking a few things. It seems like it. I mean, the eye test tells me it's a bigger problem than just adjusting a few things and, and hoping you can stick to your main strategy. It seems like your entire strategy is just blown up at this point. Yeah. Well, I, listen, I think all coaches have a stubbornness to feel that if we just execute what I'm doing, it will work. Right, eventually. And we'll see. I mean, part of it is, too, like, I know that we looked at the offense early in the year and weren't like, wow, look at this thing. This is 
fun. I mean, Chip Kelly's offense the first you know year, you were like, wow, this is unbelievable. You know, you remember that first game against the Redskins yep. on Monday Night Football, and they were just all over the place. You know, Michael Vick, man, it was you know it was like nothing you've ever saw before at this level until it kind of got figured out a little bit. And Chip never really made that adjustment and never really made those evolutions. And maybe that's similar to what's going on here. I, I'd like to think that that's not the case. I think the Eagles have, you know, Nick Sirianni um, has worked with different quarterbacks. It's not like he's been a one-trick pony. He's had other guys that he has worked with in his past to suggest that, yeah. hey, now, I don't know. Are they limiting things because they don't think Hurts can do more? I don't know. But why, just, but why could he do those things last year but not this year? Right. And no, I, well, I'm saying he's they're, – they're running an offense similar to what they did last year, and that's my point. They ran what they did last year because that's what they thought Hertz was good at. Well, now works. teams have seen him do that last year. They had all offseason to study him, and now they're saying, we saw what you did last year. We're not going to let you do that this year. And, look, I, do, I still think – that one big element to all this is the run game. His lack of participation in it has really altered this offense. Here's By the way, part. Baker Mayfield yeah. did not practice today for Tampa Bay. He's got rib and ankle problems, as mm. Sal Powell told us earlier, but he did not practice today. Here's the final part of what Brian Baldinger had to say on the Part in My Take podcast about the Eagles offense. That's all Todd Bowles does. Like yeah. That guy's throwing up pressures right now in Tampa. They better be ready for it because I don't think Tampa's a great team, but I know what Todd Bowles can do and what he has done. And, you know, it's like the old saying, like sometimes you get the bull, but sometimes the bull gets you. Well, the bull's getting the Eagles offense right now, and they better be ready for it because it's coming. Hey, listen, almost every team goes through a funk during the course of a season you know, the, the Rams won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I think they had a three-game losing streak somewhere when they, you know, before they made it to the playoffs. This is different than a three-game funk, though. This is just a stench that doesn't, you know, you ever see the Seinfeld episode uh, with the smelly car? And they can't get the smell out of the car, and they, like, shampoo it. And then Elaine gets in the car, and then the smell gets into her hair. And then she tries to get the hair, the smell out of her hair with a tomato sauce. And then Kramer gets in the car, and the smell's into his jacket, and it ruins his date. Like, they just can't get this stink off of them right now. And, you know, this isn't, to me anyway... This isn't one of your typical, you know what, you're just not playing your best football right now. Like, you're going to have ups and downs of a long 18-week season. This is lingering, in the immortal words of the Cranberries. It's like a black cloud right now, and it started with just the inefficiency on offense, the highway that is our defense at this point. But now it's injuries on top of that. Jalen Hurts banged up. He might not be able to throw to his fullest of capabilities on Monday. A.J. Brown didn't even freaking practice today. Who else didn't practice? Was it Reed Blankenship? No Blankenship, no A.J. Brown. Uh, they were out. And then limited was Jalen Hurts with this finger. He has not thrown the ball right. since they played on Sunday. By the way, according to the National Weather Service, the wind chill in Kansas City on Saturday night yeah. will be dangerously cold. It is expected to be a wind chill of negative 30 degrees for the Miami Dolphins. 
think the Miami Dolphins are interested in playing in minus 30 degrees? Remember when they wore those shirts and it was like, I wish it was colder. Mike McDaniel and Tua wore those shirts. They're not going to be saying that this weekend. That's for sure. Negative 30? <laughs> Negative 30. Are you kidding me? I mean, where is that? How is it that bad? Um, there was also some report. I don't know if you guys can follow up on this. That I saw something about they were considering moving the game out of Buffalo because of weather that could be coming there. I didn't see that. I'll look at it. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. By the way, I got news on Joel Embiid coming up next. This. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Official home for Eagles playoff football. He's hit. They've got him back at the 22. It's the Super Wild Card Round as the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Ramona Shelburne on the Woj Pod says, uh, by the way, Joel Embiid is out tomorrow night. And she is saying that the knee injury that he has is the same what he had during the playoffs last year. It is a four to six week injury. Now, it has not been mentioned by the team that he's going to miss four to six weeks yet anyway no one has come out and said anything i think she's just kind of giving some information that uh maybe she has heard but there's nothing official but he is not playing in the game tomorrow night so it'll be another game without joel Embiid. it will his third straight game he's missed with this injury he's going to be getting dangerously close to not being able to qualify for any of the awards not that i really care about that but just keep that in mind. You have to play 65 games to be qualified for an MVP award. And the Sixers have struggled without a beat, to say the least. Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty much all said and done that he's not going to qualify for it because 46 games left this season, and he's he can miss after tomorrow only seven more to still qualify. Well, if there's a four- to six-week injury, he's going to miss you know a significant amount of games. And then... If the Sixers can't figure out what to do without him, what's that going to put them in the standings? I mean, that's something you really have to consider. And I know Paul Reed has been okay, but they just have not figured out. way. I mean, last night they lose to, a, you know, a pretty average Hawks team. So a little concerning to hear that about Joel Embiid, who will remain sidelined with left knee inflammation. We hope that it's not more than that, but we'll see. Are coming up on the other side. What does Casey Joyner see in the matchup? Eagles and Buccaneers. Plus one thought every game on the wild card round. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app powered by First Bank of Sea Isle. Coming back, Casey Joyner. One thought every game for Super Wild Card Weekend. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. 
Final hour of the show, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. One thought every game, Super Wild Card Weekend. Casey Joyner's here. He's brought to you by Frank Vincent Windows Roofing, Siding and Doors. Make your home look new again. Super Wild Card Weekend starts on Saturday. You can hear both games right here on 97.3 ESPN. We'll have the full Sunday slate and, of course, Monday night, the Eagles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, Casey, uh, you'll be back on Monday. We'll talk more about the matchups in the Eagles games against the Buccaneers. But I want to take a look at some of the things uh, that has gone on with this team as you've had some time to kind of look at this matchup and saw what Philadelphia did defensively over the last five or six games. Um do you have any hypothesis of what Matt Patricia is trying to accomplish defensively? I yeah. If I'm looking at this specific matchup, uh, Rashad White, uh, the Bucks, he's a good two way, very good two way back. Actually, if you talk about just the entire skill set of what Rashad White can do, running and receiving. There are few backs in the league who are as talented as him in both areas. He's easily a top 10 back, maybe top five. But the Bucks have been leading much more heavily on him in the ground game of late. They've been still taking advantage of his pass-catching skills, but of late they've been doing that. So I think the Eagles, if you look at some of the things they've been doing, they've been trying to shore up the rush defense. They still allow 100 more yards in eight straight games, but they've capped it down where they're rattling 140, 150 earlier, and now they're getting that down to closer to 100. So I think they're realizing they have to shore that end of their defense up or else they can't, you know, you, you're just going to be dictated to all game long, and that's something they're definitely going to have to do in this matchup because why could rush for 100 yards against certain teams? Yeah, when you watch them at all on, like, you know, you're watching the film of, of Philadelphia, and you might say, what, what are they trying to accomplish? What are they doing? I mean, this looks like if you're watching them, it looks like Patricia was given a playbook that wasn't his and then decided to try to implement some of the stuff that he likes to do. And you got players out there who were thinking and then you think and then you get caught because you're like, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? So this looks like a complete disaster. It. Uh, I think the, the the idea is is that Patricia Patricia's coached a lot of defenses that are very – well, structurally sound, and I think that he knows how to do a, a more of a play. I don't say a play it safe defense, but I think they put him in there with the idea of we'll be getting big plays against us, do things to make big plays against us. And here's the thing: when it comes to the running game, I mentioned this the past few weeks. When it comes to the running game, schematically there are things you could do. You can shift linemen, you can bring somebody down in the box, you can do certain things. But to be blunt, as long as you're schematically sound, it's going to come down to if you're defeating blocks and you can't really coach your way out of that situation. Your players just have to beat blocks. If they beat them, you're going to be fine. If they don't, you're not going to be fine for the most part as long as they're structurally sound. When it comes to the passing game, there's all kinds of things coaches could do in passing games. You look at defensive playbooks, yeah, there's certain adjustments they'll make in the ground game. When it comes to the passing game, that's where the real adjustments are. And I think they thought – Okay, Patricia, you go in there and you go do the defensive things to help us uh, to help us against the pass. You do things uh, to do of that nature. But as you've said, I think he's been trying to do some complex things that might have worked well if you're in a Belichick system and you're coached by Belichick and you have that whole structure there. But if you try and do some of those more complex things, it didn't work in Detroit very well and it doesn't work very well here. But I understand why they're doing it because they needed to change up schematically some of the things that they did to stop the big plays in the passing game. And he's, he, he'll, 
He's helped with that in some ways, but he's hurting others. Yeah. Um, you know, they played Tampa before. Uh, Sean Desai's defense gave up 11 points in that game. They played pretty well at times this season. Um, you know, not to say, hey, you're going to all of a sudden change back to Sean Desai at this stage of the game. But my question more is, when you watch the Eagles in your mind, is this a schematic problem or have they deteriorated talent-wise? I think they've deteriorated talent-wise. I mean, you can look at their pass rushing. If you look at their pass rushing numbers, and again, pass rushing, you can schematically get there. But last year, you don't do what the Eagles did last year uh, you know, just, just by scheme alone. You're doing that because you've got talent. Over the last four weeks of the season, in weeks 15 through 18, and I know some of the teams didn't play full and all that. I, I get that. But even, even if you account for that, the Eagles ranked 29th in sack percentage rate, 29th in number of sacks, and they ranked 13th in pass pressure rate. The pass defense just is, or pass rushing just isn't where it was before. They ranked 26th in rushing yards allowed per game. They uh, to running backs. I'm running plays alone. We're not talking if you can scramble. You're talking just running plays alone. They ranked 26th in that category. I mean, you look at a number of their metrics. You look at coverage metrics too. And again, coverage metrics that can be you can scheme things up and such. But a lot of coverage metrics have to do with how good you are covering people. James Bradbury, 9.5 yards per target over the last four weeks of the season. Uh, you know, you're looking at, at Bradley Roping, a lot in 70, uh, 63% completion rate. Sidney Brown, a 72% completion rate. I mean, just, you know, Keely Ringo, 67%. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at a number of players here, and some of these players, you know, are talking 10, 11 targets, but still, the, and they have good numbers in other areas. But there are a lot of things that the Eagles are doing. I think they're saying we're going to allow a lot of short completions and then you guys can make tackles. And I think, I think the Eagles, you know what? I think the Eagles defenders sense that maybe the coaches don't trust them to make plays and that's making them play it even safer. Cause when you get the sense that your coach is going to get on you for screwing up and making sure that you don't screw up, you probably do things to not screw up, but you also give up plays. Um, I think we talked about this Monday, but I'll ask you since you've had some more time. I don't know, Casey, in all the years I've done this, I can think of a team that's comparable in terms of, you know, we, we talked about this earlier. The Dolphins have lost to good teams this year. And a lot of people have said, I don't know that they can beat a good team. You know, they haven't really proven that. Um, they're in the game. There might be a play they need to make, and maybe they just don't make that play. But they're in the game. Generally. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> the Eagles... Don't look competitive. So it's not like, hey, you know, you just need a play to go your way. They have played non-competitive football. Have you ever seen a team go from a team that could be – I believe they have the best record in football against playoff teams this year. They are 6-2. <laughs> have you ever seen such a drastic change? I mentioned on a Monday broadcast that it was the 1986 New York Jets. Right. They start off – 10 and 1. They're 10 and 1. They are playing fantastic. They go out week 12, a Monday night game against the Dolphins at Miami. They lose 45 to 3. They get absolutely destroyed. It crushes the confidence of this team. They lose four straight after that. And in the last two games of the season, they got outscored 97 to 45. They just completely fell apart. Their offense was making they, – they had in the last six games of the season, they had 22 turnovers, uh, 22 giveaways on offense. They just they, – they completely fell apart. They got in the playoffs. They won the wild card game against Kansas City, and they lost in, in overtime to the Browns in the next week. But, yeah, you can have teams fall apart, and it really only takes that one performance. And I bring that up because that's what kind of – there's a similarity here to the Eagles this year where – 
They were doing great. They're fantastic. They get that win against the Bills. And then they go up against the Niners, and the Niners have been looking forward to the matchup. And the Eagles were all, hey, we beat you guys in the conference championship. And the Niners just obliterated them. And I think it had the same impact it did in the 86 Jets team, where it just rattled their confidence. And once that happened, and then Dallas beats them 33-13 the next week, it's been downhill ever since for a variety of reasons, being worn down among it. But, you know, this is a fact that I think once you lose that confidence, maybe you question if your coach – you know, what they say about players, if you think your coach doesn't have the answer to the question that you don't trust the coach after that and, and things can fall apart, I think the Eagles might look at the game plans all together and going, hey, maybe we don't have the answers to these questions. If that happens, you're done. Uh, Brian Baldinger said that the offense is very predictable, that there's guys sitting at the bar that can shout out <laughs> the plays. When you watch Philadelphia's offense, do you agree that this offense lacks creativity uh, for the talent that they have? Should they be markedly better? I think on the, in the running game, we've talked about it earlier this year, all throughout the years, that they're doing a lot more basic plays. And mind you, inside zone can work and outside zone can work. They're, they're built to do that. But the Eagles used to do a few more creative things. But the thing is, in the passing game, they get down to – as mentioned, sometimes if you get a great quarterback, it'll happen with, with the Colts, with Peyton Manning, with Andrew Luck, that you just trust that guy to be the eraser, that we can, he can make mistakes, and we can just go get that. When you've got guys, in fact, it reminds me, I'll, I'll go back, I hate to go back in the day again, it reminds me of the 80s Dolphins, that they had Duper and Clayton, and for a time it was just go get open and Marino will find you, and that's exactly what happened. And when teams started to scheme up against that, the Dolphins started to have some problems. That's why they had those problems in the late 80s. I think the same thing's happened to the Eagles here, where you've got two receivers, hey, we just go get open. If they play manners on you, can find a way to just go get open, and they're not scheming their players open. When you start leaning on that, you get away from the idea that I've got the scheme call players plays open sometimes too, that sometimes defense are going to do things and I need to get them open as a play caller. And I think that's where the Eagles have been, that they relied way too heavily on physical talent and not enough on, okay, I need to find ways to get you open. And that's, that's a dangerous thing because eventually when you get to the end of the season, teams are going to start figuring out how to slow you down. All right, one thought every game, Super Wild Card Weekend starts on Saturday. You can listen to all the games right here on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Cleveland and Houston is our first one this weekend. You got Flacco and uh, that offense. They're going on the road to face Houston. So both these teams did not make the playoffs last year. Houston kind of came out of nowhere. Um, they are a home team in this game. But do you think that uh, the better team is the visitor? I think the team is the visitor. I, I, one thing I like is that this usually the opening matchup. A lot of times it's a crappy matchup. It's oh my gosh, the way do we, who wants to watch this game? This is an interesting game, I and mean, this is Cleveland's a very good team. Houston, you know, what they did last week to win. These are two teams on the rise. Uh, thing is. Texans played it safe with C.J. Stroud in his passing early in the year. Then they got that game against Tampa where he sets the records. They said, hey, let's let you do the vertical passes. And he did that, and he's done much better with that. Tank Dell's not there anymore. Noah Brown, Robert Woods, they're both battling injuries. That's a problem for them because they can't lean on Stroud's vertical passing as much. By the way, when you look at the Browns, their metrics, I did some analysis this week. I my They are incredible in a just a wide variety of areas. You can basically look anywhere on both sides of the ball. I wrote about in The Athletic this week that I think Cleveland's going to at least make the AFC Championship game this wow. year. Means a, a win this week, and uh, I think they're going to get that. I think they'll get this, and, I, uh, and there's a path I can see them to getting to the conference championship. Uh, interesting there. All right. You like Cleveland in that game against, uh, Houston in the first one. Uh, we got sub freezing temperatures in Kansas City. I mean, I would imagine Miami not too thrilled about having to do that. Um, but overall, 
Uh, Kansas City feels like the AFC version of Philadelphia. Like, what has happened to this team? Yet, Miami's problem is no one's really believes in them yet either. So this is kind of like, who do you like more in this one? It is interesting. Uh, with Kansas City, it's I think Andy Reid keeps trying to run that pass-centric offense. When you come into the year, it was like, you, you guys should run the ball more. And how come you've got Patrick Mahomes? You still want to put the ball 550 times. You still want to have him throw the ball a lot. It's just there are things that this team should be doing more to get away from that because their passing game is they've got inconsistent receivers. And uh, Kelsey posted fewer than 1,000 receiving yards for the first time since I think it's 2015. It's been, a, you know, I think, six years since that's happened, and uh, that that's a problem for them. But I think they're going to have to run the ball more this week. They know because of the weather. Plus the Dolphins, the Dolphins are now down. They're going to be out. Five defensive starters, one primary defensive backup. They also have Deshaun Elliott and Javon Holland, their two starting safeties, uh, mispracticed this week. And Jalen Ramsey was also limited in practice. And they've got four offensive players and a couple offensive linemen limited in practice, too. They're the most banged-up team in the league. I think Kansas City runs the ball a lot. And I think uh, they're just going to be able to generate more than Miami. Miami's just uh, running out of gas. Well, at minus 30 degrees, you probably should run the ball <laughs> a lot. Um, so Kansas City and Miami is the second game. Uh, on Saturday night, Sunday slate. Let's look at that on Super Wild Card Weekend with Casey Joyner from the Athletic. One thought: every Super Wild Card playoff game, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo is the team that you know got in to win the division on the last game. Same with Pittsburgh; they won last Saturday. Uh, so look at the extra day uh, to prepare for this. But it feels like everybody loves Pittsburgh. I mean, excuse me, loves Buffalo's chances to possibly be you know that Super Bowl team. And nobody likes Pittsburgh. It's tough because you're not going to be able to pass the ball. Uh, the well, National Weather Service I was looking this morning, and they have, they say there's a 60% chance of precipitation. It could be snow showers. Winds to the west at 25 to 29 miles per hour with gusts as high as 44. And that's throughout the game. They're expecting it to be windy all game long. So, uh, you know, I, you can't throw the ball very much. But here's the thing. The Steelers, yep, if you want to run, fine. They've got Najee Harris. They've got Jalen Warren. They've been leaning heavily on, on Harris more of late than, than they have Warren. But still, they've got Warren there, but they've got those two. I just keep looking at the Bills, though. They've got Cook. They've got Murray. They've got Ty Johnson. They've got Leonard Fournette. Johnson can't clear concussion protocol this week. And they've got Josh Allen. And if you have to throw the ball, I'm preferring having Josh Allen throw the ball uh, to his receivers than I'm having Mason Rudolph there. So I'm just looking at Buffalo. I don't think they'll – I would not be surprised if they don't beat the spread. They've been nine and a half, ten-point spread. I wouldn't be surprised if the game is close to that because the weather's just going to preclude uh, a blowout game. But I think uh, Buffalo still just has too many, so many more talents. Plus, Pittsburgh missing T.J. Watt, even if you don't get, have to get a pass rush, he disrupts games in other ways. And not having him there is a big loss for that team. All right. Uh, let's go to Green Bay. And Dallas, obviously Dallas here at home is a different team. Green Bay, uh, they got in, uh, and here they are getting a chance to go on the road. Jordan Love, can this team, do they have the makeup of a team that can knock off Dallas on the road? They got to make up a team that can get into shootouts, which is something that Dallas doesn't like to do. Uh, when Dallas gives up 22 or more points this year, they're one in five. I mean, that that's not good. Problem is for Green Bay, they're one in six when they allow 23 or more points. And the, the Packers did score 22 or more points in six of the last eight games. Dallas has 20 or more points in 10 of its past 11. So, again, that leads towards shootout. The thing is, Dallas scored 30 or more points on 10 occasions this season, and they did it seven times in, in home games. That's, that's a, it's tough to get to that point. Green Bay, as good as their offense has been, 
scored 30 more points only three times. So I think Dallas gets it. It gets in the shootout level, but I think Dallas can more easily get into the 30, 35 point range than Green Bay can. So I see this game hitting the over. I think it's like a 50.5 point over. I see it getting there, but I just don't see Green Bay having enough firepower to keep up. All right, uh, so that is the middle game on Sunday, and you can hear that game on 97.3 ESPN. And then the Rams and the Lions, very interesting. Obviously, you got Goff and Stafford facing their former team's first playoff game in Detroit since 1993. <laughs> uh, but to me, this Rams team is not the one that you wanted to get stuck with. No, uh, it's another Matthew Stafford, 645 passing yards in his last two starts. Didn't play last week, but, you know, they, that's fantastic. Los Angeles in their last six meaningful games, again, not discounting last week, where they still put up 20 points. Uh, they tallied 188 points in those games, a minimum of 26 points scored in every game, and 30 or more points scored in five of those matchups. This may be the best offense in the NFL right now. thing is, Detroit, they've racked up 30 more points in six of their last nine games. They're doing it, by the way. They've got Goff. Goff did really well this year. Uh, again, people, he's one of maybe the most underrated quarterback in the sense that, yeah, he has gaffes every now and again, but the guy puts it in 30 touchdowns and 12 picks here. So I think it's another. That's really good. And they also have Gibbs and Montgomery. That's why the Lions have rushed for 115 or more yards in nine out of the last 10 games, including seven games with 140 or more rushing yards. I think it turns it into a shootout. And the thing is, Turnovers oftentimes decide shootout games. Detroit's got eight takeaways its last three games. The Rams have generated 15 takeaways all year long, but for the entire season, and they've only had two or more takeaways twice and none since week nine. I take that in home field and say, okay, I think the Lions make more plays in its home field, so I'll take the Lions. All right, there you go. Super wild card weekend. Casey's back Monday to look back at all of the Super Wild Card matchups, and we'll preview the Eagles and the Bucks a little closer, see some of the matchups that he thinks could be the difference in that game. That'll be on Monday's show here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Casey, enjoy the football, man. You too, I appreciate it. All right, uh, it is uh, Casey Joyner brought to you by Frank Vincent Windows Roofing, Siding, and Doors. Make your home look new again. Good breakdown on all the action there. Uh, how about this? So, there was a guy who put a bet in Nevada. He cashed in over $40,000 on a $30 bet where he correctly predicted the winner of seven divisions. He got the Bills, Ravens, Texans, Chiefs, Niners, Lions, and the Cowboys. Like, you read something like that, and you're like, why wouldn't I have made a bet like that? The two big ones, the big cojones ones, are the Bills at plus 1,100 and the Cowboys at plus 750. The Texans as well. I mean, Jacksonville, this was back on November 27th when he placed this bet. He ended up with over $40,000. Jacksonville is probably in a pretty good state at that point, too. Bold to take the Texans at that point. Yeah, 11:27. You're going back to right around Thanksgiving. So I think, you know, Thanksgiving you would think the Jacksonville was probably two games up in the division at least, yeah. I mean, they were what, 9 and 3 at one point and then just completely collapsed. I know they were 8 and 3. I don't know if they got to 9 and 3, but they went 1 and 5 over their last six games as well. So, much like the Eagles, Doug Peterson and the Jacksonville Jaguars, they fell apart. I would say this though. They fell apart, but differently than the Eagles. Like, they were competitively in the games. 
they didn't look disjointed. Like, Trevor Lawrence was banged up. He was hurt. Maybe he wasn't the same player. They lost Christian Kirk for, what, five weeks? Yeah, he was on my fantasy team. He went down. It wasn't great. Uh, I was reading something about Nick Sirianni when he got hired. Okay? So when Nick Sirianni got hired, uh, PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the website, did a you know whole thing about his offense and what it would look like and what it was like in uh, Indianapolis. You know, they were raving about how he had all these different quarterbacks and that he has really, you know, adjusted with the different quarterbacks. He worked with um, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, um, Phillip Rivers. And it says here, you know, the staples of his offense were 12 personnel. That, that was one of the, they ranked in the top 10 in 12 personnel, which is too tight end. Yards after the catch. You don't see yards after the catch ever in this offense. You should, it like. but you don't. But yeah. that was one of the big things. They were fourth in the league in yards after the catch. The other thing was, and when the Eagles hired Sirianni, they were 29th in the league in yards after the catch. The other thing that was a staple of his offense, according to this article, was running backs in the passing game. You don't see the Eagles throw the ball to the running back ever. Ever. And that was one of the things that he was being lauded about when he got here. So, Not showing that this season, or no. at least in the past well, six or seven that at weeks. All. He has not shown the ability to throw the ball to the running back in this offense at all. So the question is, is that a Sirianni thing or is that a Hurts thing? All right, when we come back, we're going to go to Tampa. We'll get the outside view from my buddy T.J. Reeves from the Tampa Bay Buccaneer Radio Network. You'll hear what he has to say. Do the people in Tampa, are they understanding of how bad it has been for the Eagles over the last couple of weeks? We'll ask my buddy T.J. Reeves coming up next here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN Live at Chickies and Pete's at the Tropicana in Atlantic City. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, everybody, welcome back to Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. It's a super wild card weekend matchup. It's a Monday night matchup, actually. It's not even on the weekend. It's during the work week, and it seems to be work to watch the Eagles right now. It's painful. Let's talk about the game. Let's get some insight on the opponent, the outside view today. We go to Tampa Bay. My friend T.J. Reeves, the Buck sideline guy from the Buccaneer Radio Network, joins me now to give us a look at the a uh the nfc south champion tampa bay buccaneers tj welcome back to the show you know they played on a monday night not too long ago and the eagles dominated that game but i'm going to tell you first before i ask you a question 
The feeling about this Eagles team has changed considerably since that game. Do you in Tampa, do they feel that the Eagles are a team that's on the ropes? Well, listen, good to be with you. So much to cover and go over. Quick answer to that is yes. Yes, in this part of the world. How could you not look at what Philly hasn't done and how inept they looked, especially last week uh, against the Giants with still everything to play for in the first half of that game and not think that this is a different situation than the Monday night game that we saw down here in Tampa earlier this year. As much as the Eagles are like an anvil headed to the bottom of the ocean, the Buccaneers have done the opposite. The Buccaneers came out of a a streak that really began with the Eagles' loss where they lost six out of seven games, but most of them were playoff teams like Philly, like San Francisco, like Buffalo, like the Houston Texans. Stop me. The Detroit Lions, all of those are playoff teams. Those were the teams they were losing to in the streak. They came out of it, though, and have now won five of the last six games to close out the season, including beating the likes of Atlanta, Green Bay, Jacksonville, right in a row, all in playoff contention. So while the Eagles are spiraling downward, downward, like like circling the bowl. The Buccaneers are on an upward trend here at the end of the year, right when you want to get better, right when you want to be playing better. Yeah, I, I know the Eagles have been a disaster. I mean, if you watch them play, the Giants, they were awful. They were terrible against Arizona. They figured out a way to beat the Giants on Christmas Day, but nobody was all that impressed. They had that meltdown in Seattle, and they got bombed by Dallas and, and San Francisco. People are 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 essentially feeling like they're going to lose to this Buccaneers team. So the game in Tampa on Monday night, the Eagles ran the ball 40 times for 200 yards. And I remember the narrative going into that game, TJ. It was, oh, Tampa's got this great defense. Now it's early in the year. You're looking at like run defense. But the Eagles ran the ball 40 times, 200 yards. Can they duplicate that? Is that a game plan in the playoffs? They certainly are going to try to. And the, the one difference for the Buccaneer defensive front is that Kalijah Cansey, the rookie out of Pitt, who you guys in that part of the world know something about, the ACC Player of the Year on defense a year ago in college football 2022, he was not in that first game due to a calf injury. He has since come back. Now, he's not everything, but when you line him up next to the behemoth of Vita Vea, uh, who's every bit of 340 pounds and athletic, in the middle, this may be a different story, this go-around. And another reason why Philadelphia had that run success, they did a lot of damage throwing the ball, especially early in the game, spreading it out. Jalen Hurts also did damage running it. And I just don't know how successful they can be early in the game throwing it. Jalen Hurts' mobility, that may affect the ability to run the ball as the game went on. And, And let's be honest, they wore the Buccaneers down. A lot of that damage done in the third and fourth quarter after they wore them down. By and large, this Buccaneer defense has been really good against the run. So if that trend continues, Philadelphia's got to find another way to be able to consume the clock, uh, field position, uh, play to your strengths. I don't know that they're just going to be able to run it right down the Bucks' throat. TJ, uh, TJ Reeves, the Bucks sideline guy on the Buccaneers radio network joins us with a outside view look at Tampa Bay, the Eagles Monday night opponent, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Um, when I tell you those two guys, everyone's like, whoa, th- th- those guys are really good. Um, why isn't this offense more explosive? That is the $64,000 question for much of the year. But again, you saw plenty. You saw a 29 point performance. 
Uh, it really starting in the second half of the Carolina game, early December, where Evans caught the 75-yard pass over the middle, went racing down the field, and leaped in the end zone. Ever since then, uh, the offense really began to click over the next four games, essentially. In Atlanta, you get 29 points. Godwin had a big game in that game with 10 catches. You go to Green Bay, Godwin and Evans right away in the first half of that game, one big catch after another, you score 34 points in Green Bay. You come back home with Jacksonville. Evans and Godwin again as a dynamic duel, one-two receiver punch, help you build a 30-point uh, lead, a 30 to nothing lead in that game. Now, they they were handled by New Orleans. New Orleans has been a nemesis for this team. So by and large, the Bucks had trouble throwing it on New Orleans. And last week, it was more of a conservative. You knew the Panthers were bad. They weren't looking to take a lot of risks. Evans was open early in the game for a bomb, and Baker Mayfield didn't get the ball to him. Some of it was throwing into the wind, maybe throwing it a little late. But they, they weren't trying to open it up against Carolina last week. So what I'm saying to you is, by and large, the success down the stretch of the season – Evans and Godwin have been the one-two punch. And Philly's defense uh, has been vulnerable against everybody they've played. And if it continues on Monday, the Bucks have got a great chance to win this game uh, with numbers 13 and 14 uh, in the Buck passing game doing some damage against Philly. When you watch the Eagles play the last couple of weeks, TJ, do you wonder how Tampa only scored 11 points on this defense? Yes, because they look like a different defense right now, and in particular in the secondary, and they've had a couple of injuries. Uh, They look like a different team. So uh, that's why it's a long season. And the Buccaneer offense with Dave Canales, the first-year offensive coordinator, it took some time. They had early success, and then people adjusted to what Canales was doing and what the Bucs were doing. And again, it's his first season as a play caller, and it took a while to adjust to the adjustments and figure some things out and be more aggressive. And I really think that's a big key when you morph to, to Monday night. Do the, do the Bucks remain aggressive? Do they throw early first down? Do they throw early second and short? Do they stay on the edge? Do they maybe go for a fourth down, which they did in Green Bay uh, and against Jacksonville, where they went for fourth downs early in the game near midfield? Aggressive mindset, aggressive throwing the ball. That wasn't as much early in the year in the Monday night meeting with the Eagles. The aggressive mindset, let's see if it's different in the rematch. Yeah, uh, TJ Reeves with us. Uh, he's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sideline reporter. He's been there for a long time, knows this franchise inside and out. Baker Mayfield takes over. Tom Brady uh, was there, obviously, last year. They played in the playoff two years ago. It's kind of a reversal here. The, the Eagles were the team that got in the playoff. They were kind of happy to be there. But I don't want to speak for you. The Bucs aren't just happy to be here, are they? I mean, they seem to be a forgotten playoff team here. Like, nobody is taking them. Now, this game seems to be the stinker. Uh, I heard Mad Dog on uh, a podcast the other day saying, ah, yes, man, got stuck with uh, Eagles and Bucks. Nobody cares about them. This seems to be the game that nobody cares about. That was my Mad Dog, by the way. It's a good, good impersonation. I give you about an eight on that. Uh, you weren't high pitched enough, but that's okay. You can work on that. Uh, look, I mean, you're, you're telling me that this game is going to be worse off than the Cleveland Buffalo game that, uh, is Cleveland also a Houston. fourth, Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Houston. Houston, excuse me, Cleveland Houston. And, may, and maybe Buffalo Pittsburgh is not gone, is not good either, uh, in the AFC. Yeah. But I think uh, people think uh, my point, I guess is I think people think the winner of this game is a sacrificial lamb for San yeah, Francisco. Maybe so. Maybe so. But or you I, never I know. Think people think if Buffalo wins, Buffalo, I think some people think Buffalo or, can make, represent. Or if Houston or Cleveland wins, they can give Baltimore some trouble. I get that point. But look, anybody that, that understands right now what's going to happen, please. I, I could make the case for about seven or eight teams to win the Super Bowl right now. I say again, it's yep. wide open. 
at this point, and you just want to get in the tournament. And that's all the Bucks talked about down the stretch of the season. Get us in the tournament to see what happens. Because there were people talking about, well, you're ruining your draft position by beating Carolina, by beating Atlanta. And I kept saying back to that, how do you know that you don't get in the playoffs and win a game and maybe suddenly you've got momentum at the end of the year and you've won a game and now you've got a shot to pull a couple of upsets and and go into the NFC Championship game? You don't know. You've seen wild card teams. Green Bay did it. Green Bay did it as a wild card team. Well, Pittsburgh I can tell you. did it as I a wild card you. team. You've seen teams be able to win three games and go to the Super Bowl. I can tell you, TJ, of, of being in this market, the sports fan, especially in the Northeast, I would say, has become if you're not good enough to win the Super Bowl, we rather have you lose. You know, like just winning a playoff game no longer for fans is All acceptable. Right. And, and I understand that off a Super Bowl season a year ago. That you, that would be your mentality. But the Buccaneers a year ago uh, end up bowing out in the first round of the Cowboys. Tom Brady ends up retiring for good. And you basically were cast off as this is going to be a lost season. Seventy-plus million dollars in dead cap money. No money to spend on free agents. A new offensive coordinator. A new quarterback in Baker Mayfield. Most believed, Mike, and you know this, that this was supposed to be like a three- or four-win season. So now when you get to the seventh win, the eighth win late in the year, and even finish it off with a ninth win, this is a bonus yeah. right now. So the mentality down here is take advantage of that bonus and win a playoff game, and now you've shut uh, an awful lot of people up uh, here uh, at uh, at this point. We talked about the, uh, the last time they played. The Eagles ran the ball 40 times. Uh, they also have Smith and Brown both. Uh, up in the air with some injury issues. Thought is they probably both play. Uh, but give us a little insight on the Tampa defense when you look at the Philly offense, which, by the way, statistically speaking, has been decent. Eye test says they have had some issues with offense. Well, and A.J. Brown, we won't know. I mean, as much as this weekend unfolds, they're going to act like play it close to the vest. Oh, you know, we'll wait. We'll see. It's a sprained knee. How effective can he be even, even if he is trying to go in the game? And as somebody said to me before we did this interview that's very familiar as an orthopedist with hand injuries and a throwing hand, if you've got a dislocated middle finger, you're not going to be the same quarterback on being able to throw the football throw it with the same zip, the same accuracy, no matter what they try to do, if that is, in fact, what's going on. And you you didn't see very much from him, Hurts, after the dislocated finger on Sunday. So this is advantage Buccaneers. This is a damaged physically team in Philadelphia on offense. You mentioned Devontae Smith, too. But this is a damaged psychological team. And you look at last week where they began to blitz Jalen Hurts. They had stuffed the run. They began to blitz him with the safeties, the delayed blitzes. He got the injury. They they looked psychologically done last week. And so that makes you think if the Buccaneers come out and do a couple of positive things on defense with a sack or a takeaway, take you would hate to say this, but does Philadelphia check out? How much do they still have belief that they can win right now with the way that they've lost? How much do they rally around Nick Sirianni? You can answer that better right now if there's adversity again on on Monday night in the first half of the game been a lot of the questions this week is is he coaching for his job are they psychologically spent we'll find out monday night on super wild card weekend the four or five eagles and bucks you can listen to the game right here 
on 97.3 ESPN. For those of you out there who are familiar with the voice, you've heard TJ calling a lot of games right here on 97.3 ESPN, some college games uh, that you've heard him working. Have you ever had the chance in your career to cross paths with both Belichick or Saban? You got any background there or Pete Carroll? Well, we've worked a lot of Alabama games on Compass Media Networks and gotten to be around the tide. And it's it's wild at the time that we're talking right now that both Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are no longer there at Alabama or at New England. Uh, and obviously the Buccaneers have played uh, the Patriots. We last played them in a Sunday night game a couple of years ago with that Tom Brady guy and had success in New England and won that game. Um, so, look, the, uh, the the craziness of this offseason, it's amazing all of the openings that currently exist and what happens if a Harbaugh leaves Michigan or a Lincoln Riley leaves USC. You've got Alabama open. Michigan could be open. USC could be open. In the NFL, the Seahawks, the Patriots – uh, the Chargers, all these, the Raiders, all these different teams. The coaching carousel is going to be crazy. I'm just grateful. Uh, I'm smiling ear to ear, even though your audience can't see me. The Buccaneers, very relevant at the end of this year, qualified for the playoffs, got a home game, and now would love nothing more than to stick the knife in Philly yet again in the postseason. Just like a couple of years ago, I do recall Rondé Barber, 92 yards to the house. Uh, for the uh, closing of Veterans Stadium. The Bucks have a lot of good playoff memories against the Philadelphia. The first ever Buccaneer playoff win with Doug Williams and Leroy Selman is against who? Jaws and the Eagles. Leroy sacking Jaws three times. He still remembers that game. So the Bucks have a lot of history and good history against the Philadelphia Eagles, my friend, in the yeah, playoffs. I to remember Joe Jaravicious catching the ball. Uh-huh. And- Continuing to run, kind of set the tone. You're right. And Gene Deckerhoff's iconic on the Super Bowl soundtrack on the video. Go, Joe, you go, Joe, running down the sideline. That that was uh, an amazing day where the Buccaneers supposedly couldn't win in the cold, couldn't win in Philadelphia, fell behind in the game, as you remember, and yet rallied to win. And you talk about psychologically breaking through. The Raiders had no chance the next time out in the Super Bowl, the next game. So let's see. Psychology will play, Mike, in closing a big part of this game. And we will know very quickly whether in the first quarter, in the first half, if things go bad for the Eagles on a couple of series, a bad break, a turnover, the Bucks get a big play, do they check out? That's, That's what we're curious about in Tampa Bay. T.J. Reeves, Bucks sideline guy for the Buccaneers Radio Network. And, of course, the game is right here with Merrill Reese and Mike Quick. Monday night, the Eagles super wild card matchup. You can hear it only on 97.3 ESPN. Good to see you, T.J. Thanks for the insight, man. Always great to be with you. Let's see what happens. They renew the playoff rivalry again. Bucks eagles Got to wait till Monday, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Mike. And that's our outside view today. We're live at Chickies and Pete's in Atlantic City. We'll get ready to wrap everything up. Coming up next right here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app powered by First Bank. This is South. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
official home for Eagles playoff football. The give goes to Swift. He's got a first down and more. Leaps over a man. Breaks a tackle. Down to the 15. That's the hot hand. You gotta feed the hot hand. It's the super wild card round as the Eagles travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. 97.3 ESPN. Alright, getting ready to get out of here thanks to uh, the people at Chickies and Pete's. As always, hopefully... We're back next week because if we're back next week, that means the Eagles won. That would be next Thursday. Monday, you can join us over for the Eagle pregame at Ocean Casino. We'll be there for the Monday. By the way, Sixers Monday, 1 o'clock. Eagles Monday night, and the Flyers play Monday. So three of the four, obviously the Phillies can't play. Although, Danny Ryan, the uh, I got all excited. The Phillies put out their spring training times for the games now they play at 105 every day yeah. they might play like the the yankees will play a 605 like night game they'll play night games in tampa but the phillies play 105 every game except monday the 25th which is the last day of spring training which is the day that we're going to the game so my buddy texted me today how he's all ticked off yeah because the game's an hour earlier which means it's a little harder to get up and then get. We stay in Clearwater now. Don't tough it out. Well, the problem is I'm talking about getting breakfast because it's crazy getting breakfast in the places down there, and then trying to get from Clearwater Beach over to Clearwater. That's like a half hour, forty yeah. minute ordeal. So, but I was excited to see the Phillies put their times out for uh, both spring training and the regular. How season. long are you going to be there again for your trip? Uh, 19th to the 26th. All right, be there for a whole week, Here like always, man. I'm going. Uh, the NCAA tournament. One game? One Eagle or uh, Phillies? We're probably game? going to the game on Monday. Because okay. we don't, they do play more games, but they conflict with the NCAA tournament. So we might go to a game. We'll see. All right. We'll go to a Blue Jay game over in Dunedin. They got a lot of good breweries in Dunedin. All right, back tomorrow. Uh, Jenny Lane, who covers the Bucks, will join me. Not Penny Lane, Hair. Uh, thanks to all my guests today. Mike Golick. Sal Palantonio and of course Casey Joyner all join me. Game night is up next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.